the curse of the devil. Exorcism, a sacrifice, blessing, or bestiality. The curse of the devil. Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find it. Hello everyone, it's Rod jumping in here before the actual episode starts to let you know that, uh, yeah, it's been a few months since we did an episode of the Nashi Cast, and for that I apologize, but honestly Troy and I have kind of been busy doing uh, some various Nashi related uh, projects. There are the commentary tracks for the Scream Factory set and for Mono Macabro's Inquisition DVD, I'm sorry, Blu-ray as well. So, uh, you know, we kind of been busy. We also did that commentary track for Scream Factory's version of uh, Amando Diasorio's The Lorelei's Grasp. So there's that one out there too. So we've been busy doing Spanish horror stuff. It's just that uh, we haven't been doing as many Nashi casts this year as we kind of would normally do. Uh, we're going to try to get back into the swing of things. The pressure has relented. We're not doing as many commentary tracks and other side projects related to Nashi and uh, various other people involved in the golden age of Spanish horror. So we're going to get back to it. We're going to do more Beyond Nashi episodes. We already have some tentative plans, some things we're going get, to get going here pretty quickly. So uh, sorry for the long delay between the last episode and this episode, but I think you'll enjoy this one. Uh, we're going to sit down and talk with the uh, author and podcaster and film producer... Nick Brown uh, about uh, a couple of Nashy werewolf movies. Um, Nick is quite the werewolf fanatic, and uh, I think you will learn why if you don't already know. So, thank you very much for tuning in, listening to the new episode of the show. And uh, after we talk with Nick, stick around. We've got uh, the mailbag going, we've got uh, several emails that we uh, read out and answer questions from uh, at the end of the show. And, uh, huh, like I say, getting back into the swing of this whole NashiCast thing, uh, we've been, uh, we've been busy fellas, I'm telling you now. We'll talk to you later. Enjoy! Did you watch both films? I watched both films. Okay, I good. enjoyed them a lot. I was I was surprised when Doctor Jekyll was in English, so uh, you know that was a lot less work oh, yeah. for me. Well, so. I, when, when, yeah, when I sent you the, the what, what I sent when I sent you uh, Mark of the Wolfman, uh, I was trying to send you well, I was trying to send you a version that uh, was not called Frankenstein's Bloody Terror, so that you wouldn't yeah. go through the that you so that you wouldn't go through the uh, mm-hmm. the cognitive dissonance that most human beings go through as they're going. 
where's the Frankenstein? Everybody else is here, but... Well, it's funny you said that, because I'd actually looked up the film, and I was like, oh, he sent me the first Paul Nashie movie, and that's, uh, uh, wait, it's it's called Frankenstein? And so I was, and then I read the title, and I was like, that's Mark of the Wolfman in Spanish. Yep. Yeah, I don't speak Spanish, but I speak enough French, I can kind of make the jump. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, that's, that's, that's. <laughs> Yeah, so I was still confused. Don't worry. It's it's all right. <laughs> well, I tried to save you, although, you know, it, it's it's a, it's a fan sub situation, so actually, yeah. the, the, the fan subs weren't, weren't too bad. I, I watched that version uh, last night myself just to to be up to speed and know exactly what you had viewed, and so I was yeah. a little surprised. So. Yeah, and I'll say this. That was the first time I'd seen it. I'd seen Dr. Jekyll... Uh, or versus the Wolfman, uh, yeah. or Doctor Jekyll and the Wolfman, uh, whichever way you said Doctor Jekyll and the Wolfman. Yeah, that was it. I keep wanting to put the Wolfman first for some reason, but uh, you know I'd seen that before, but I had not seen the first one, so that was that was a real treat. And I do have to ask because it's been a long time since I've seen uh, Doctor Jekyll and the Wolfman. Were those scenes that were kind of off color that also happened to be all the nudity and the uh, rapey McRape face scenes? Were those uh, were those like cut from the original release version what and is, then restored? Uh, yeah, there those are those are restorations. That's a composite version of the film because that's yeah. Okay, that's what I thought because I was like the color is yeah, off you on those. The difference, yeah, and, well, and it's, it's just standard. coincidental that that would be the stuff that would get it not released in the UK. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, see, what what the what, all that stuff was used in uh, was supposed to be used in the British version, but it got snipped out. There were a couple of uh, Nashi films that got that ended up on the uh, the video nasties list. Um, yeah. I know Night of the Howling Beast, aka Werewolf and the Yeti, was definitely yeah. on there because. There's some wonderfully fun and grotesque things within that, including you know, slowly watching uh, the the back skin, the back of a woman being skinned off and placed onto someone else and crap like that. But, wow. uh, <laughs> but yeah, but it's, and it's supposed to be healing. It's like yeah, yeah, it's yeah this to be, is this is a, to be... a treat. It's a treatment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that's my kind of treatment. Um, yeah, say, it's like make you make you prefer blood bleeding and uh, and and <laughs> leeches, leeches, leeches yes, to exactly. the, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think that might not treat my gout quite effectively. But, uh, the uh, the uh, all the, the the stronger stuff, those sequences that uh, you know, with all the whipping, boy, yeah. there's, boy, there's some whipping, and uh, the the nudity and things like that. Those are the versions. Remember, the these these movies were shot uh, in general in two versions: the version that was going to be shown in Spain, where yeah. uh, nary a nipple existed, and yeah. uh, the what they called the export version, which is the version that was to be played in the United States and the UK and Japan right. and anywhere else in the world where they, uh, they cranked things up, uh, to, uh, whatever they could reach on the knob. And it was rarely 11, but sometimes it got there. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that, and that makes some sense to me. So, you know, I kind of picked up on that when I was watching it and I actually watched both of them. Uh, I watched one of them Saturday afternoon and one on Sunday. So, yeah, so it's, uh, it's all good. I was, I had intended to sit down and watch them both Friday night, but I ended up going to Louisville, uh, with a friend instead by accident. So accidental <laughs> travel, you know, it happens. <laughs> God, that reminds me. Have you ever uh, you ever seen uh, With Noel and I? Have you ever seen the movie? Uh, the British film With Noel and I? No. No, uh, that's just, just, just imagine like, that yeah. hilarious line in there where he says, we've gone on holiday by accident. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, I may have to watch that. Oh, it's a classic. Oh, it's, 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 a, it's amazing. Richard E. Grant is yeah. in it, and it's, uh, it's really hilarious British. He's, he's, ye- he's yelling this at a passing motorist, going, yeah. help yeah. us, we've gone on holiday by accident. <laughs> it's set in... Uh, well, I love Richard Grant. Oh, Richard so. Grant's great. I think yeah. it's, set in, it's set in England in about 1970, I guess, or the end of the 60s. End of the 60s. 60s it, yeah. was made in, it was made in the early 80s. Yeah. It's a, there's a criterion okay. of it out there somewhere. So. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. I'll, look, I'll check it out, you know. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, let, let's make sure that the world knows who you are. We are talking tonight. Troy and I are talking. Oh, introduce yourself, Troy. I'm Troy Gwynn. I'm Rod Barnett. And tonight we are talking to Nick Brown, or as I like to refer to him, author Nick mm-hmm. Brown. Full mm-hmm. pause there to let everybody let <laughs> it sink in. Um, Nick is uh, rather famous for a couple of things. One, he's from Kentucky and he's a published author. Yeah. yeah. Now, besides <coughs> having all his teeth, that's kind of amazing. Wow. Oh, <laughs> I, I feel I just got the backhanded compliment of no, the decade. Uh, thing. I, think, so. I, think, I think the border war is on here. If, if you knew how much shit we talk about people in Kentucky. No, we don't at all. Actually. I was going to say. That's okay, because no matter how much shit you talk about the folks in Kentucky, you guys are still Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Hey, that's just all because, I got to say. Just because we're further south <laughs> doesn't mean we're not automatically better, because we are. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> but Nick, <laughs> hey, at least we chose a side in the Civil War. Now, it was the wrong side, but you know, was, at least we chose It was one. completely the wrong <laughs> side. <laughs> it was the side of wrongness. <laughs> we, we were hedging our bets, okay? Yeah, hey, uh, we true. were we hedging were. our bets. <laughs> Nevertheless... Uh, Nick is uh, well-known for uh, being a published author and being one of the long-running co-hosts of the amazing B-Movie Cast podcast, uh, which is still ongoing, thank God. And there's a there's a certain beauty and symmetry to finally dragging him down to our level here on the Nashi Cast. Uh, Nick, uh, as, a, uh, as a published author, by the way, uh, just in case people don't know, uh, two, of, two of his books uh, focus on, strangely enough, a werewolf. They do. They do. That's why we really want your opinion on this because we know you you have you you have something to say about werewolf uh, I, and culture. I have. I was going to say I have a couple of things to say about werewolves. Let me tell you about them. Ding dang a werewolves. I tell you what. Now, <laughs> yes. Now I appreciate you guys having me on to talk. I love talking werewolf movies. Yeah. So tell and, us about your series of books real quick, just so everybody knows. Do we, do yeah. People want to get out and read them. I've, I've, they're very good. I've, I've quite enjoyed the. Uh, oh yeah. Werewolf for Hire series. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, my first book, Blood Curse, and uh, the second one, Blood Sacrifice. And actually, I have an anthology book out called Werewolves, Zombies, and Leprechauns. Oh, cool. And it contains sh- short stories from the world of Werewolf for Hire. And uh, all that's available on werewolfforhire.com, conveniently enough. Excellent. <laughs> also on Amazon, but hey. Well, on Amazon, yeah. But here's the thing. You buy it on Amazon. That's all well and good, you know. And if you want, I'll sign your Kindle. Although there's only room for a few signatures on the Kindle before you can't read it anymore. Um, but but here's the thing: if you buy the book on Amazon, I don't get a chance to autograph it. You buy it through WerewolfForHire.com, it'll come autographed. So you know, for what it's worth. So if you want to, yeah, if you want to retire on that signed Nick Brown Brown copy of uh, it, then you, you, exactly. you need to get the print. But tell him the other thing he's famous for besides being 
an author from Kentucky is uh, is where they go where they can hear him. Besides, uh, oh well, they can B, hear his yeah, voice. B movie yes. podcast, of course, yes, but uh, yeah. which which is an ongo an ongoing concern where you guys cover uh, <clears throat> well, let's just call it uh, B movies, I guess, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, it's B movies, and it's funny because B movies ended up being the original host Vince's. Uh, basically, it was whatever Vince decided was the B movie this week. So you know, we did. We did everything from, uh, you know, like silent films from the 1920s all the way up through recent blockbusters and stuff. It was just whatever he was in the mood to call a B-movie at the time. But uh, we've done done a lot. We actually just posted a new cast uh, yesterday that we did with our good buddy Mark Mostyn. It was me, uh, Mary Rotolo, and Mark Mostyn. And we were talking about Burn Witch Burn. Oh, that's a good one. Love that film. Yeah. Yeah, great movie. Yeah, it was it was fun, and I had never seen it before. And I will say, uh, Mark Mostyn, for those who don't know, he's a photographer from the UK who works. He does film photography. He also does uh, music music photography. So you know, like uh, the Beach Boys, he's been he's been one of their f- photographers. Uh, he's the one of the official photographers for the Bond films. So you know, he uh, gets to go to all those events. But he did an interview with Peter Wingard, the guy who's the star of uh, Burn Witch Burn. And he has some very, very funny stories to tell that come out during the podcast. And a a lot more stories that came out that he can never repeat because, (laughs) yeah, the Wingard's, Wingard's agent and everybody else was like, uh yeah, ninety percent of what he's told you you can never publish. <laughs> oh, wow, <My laughs> it gosh. was that kind of interview. So. Yeah, there there've been a few times when uh, Troy and I, or Troy or I, have been in a room with uh, certain people telling tales in the late night, you know, in the late night, and uh, alcohol is flowing. And partway through one story or the other, someone just reminds you, by the way, don't ever repeat this. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah I kind of assumed yeah. that by the, the third revelation that would put people in jail. But yeah, um, <laughs> the question for now, though, is um, werewolves. What is it that, that made you such a big werewolf fan? You know, that is a very good question. And I kind of ask myself that one sometimes because I'm like... Why is it I'm a, you know, and it's, it's not that I don't like other, other, you know, supernatural monsters and stuff, you know, I mean, I'm a, I, I'm not going to put on a shirt and root for the vampires in uh, Twilight or something, but you know, I got nothing against vampires, I got nothing against the other stuff, but there's just something about the werewolf, the idea of the werewolf, and this idea of it being a curse, this, it's always fascinated me, and you know, one of the, one of the first films I got to see that was really a horror film was an American werewolf in London. And I saw that about a year after it came out. I was about 12 years old. And so I'm old enough to know better, but young enough to still be, you know, pissing my pants scared when I'm walking home at night. And I had seen it at a friend of mine's house and was walking back from his house mm. and it was dark and there was, you know, yeah. there was this big six foot privacy fence next to the road as I'm walking and I'm walking along and all of a sudden I hear this and I just watched American werewolf in London. Mm. And all of a sudden I hear this heavy breathing uh, uh, and then growling and I'm literally freaking out. And well, it turns out that there was a, a policeman that owned that house and he had a uh, retired 
canine unit German Shepherd. <laughs> well, I did not know that at the time, and this retired canine unit German Shepherd was extremely territorial, and sure enough, as I got closer and closer to that fence, it went freaking bananas, and I made it home in record time, um, because, you know, I just watched American Werewolf in London, and I think that that reinforcement, you know, that's I've never watched a vampire movie and then been attacked by a bat. You know, or something like that. But, you know, it's no, I never count, watched count the Bumpy. Your, and, count you yourself know. lucky, sir. Yeah, well, you know, and it's, uh, you know, and, but here it was, I, right after watching that, I had this experience with the dog. So I, it's always, it's kind of sewn up the idea of the werewolf in my subconscious as being something really scary. But at the same time, and you guys have both read my books, I take a different turn on the werewolf because I always thought, what if it wasn't a curse? What if it was something you could control to some degree? You know, my uh, my characters have issues with impulses and stuff. It's kind of the old, uh, the idea that you don't have good and evil wolves. You just have wolves. And they uh, see everything as either food, an enemy, or something to have sex with. And that's pretty much their whole opinion of the uh of the world around him. And so my character has to deal with those urges. You know, every time somebody gets in his face, he wants to kill him. You know, if, if they're, you know, and he's got to kind of hold the wolf in check and deal with that. But I like that idea. So that's kind of why I'm big on werewolves. And I really, I'd kind of forgotten about them for a long time because there was a big dry spell in the 90s, like the late 90s when there weren't a lot of good werewolf movies coming out. Yeah. But then I saw Dog Soldiers by Neil Marshall. Mm -hmm. It was on the Sci-Fi Channel. And those were some badass mm -hmm. werewolves. And that woke up my interest in werewolves again. And it was actually when I saw Dog Soldiers was when I got the first inklings of the ideas for my books. Well, just off uh, off the top of your head, what uh, what would be your if you had to to narrow it down to one? What's your favorite werewolf film? <laughs> it's gonna be my question too, Rod. We're just we're just in well, sync, buddy. You know, <laughs> you know that, and that's a tough one because I'm torn between two. If I had to narrow it down to one, it would be an American Werewolf in London. Mm -hmm. That film that film scares me to this day. There are parts of that film where it just sends a tingle up my spine. It impresses the hell out of me that his that those conventional special effects from 1981, you know, Rick Baker's work with the werewolf transformation, yeah. that still holds up today. Yeah, you know, you can watch you that go. and it's it just looks great. And it's it's funny because the very same year that came out, The Howling came oh, yeah. out. Oh yeah, that's awesome too. And The Howling had a very similar, both those were the first movies where they actually did this physical on-screen metamorphosis type transformation. And what a lot of people don't realize is that, uh, I think it was Bob Botkin uh, did the special effects for The Howling. Robert, well, Rob, 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 Rob Botine. Yeah. yeah, sorry, it's I'm doing it off the top of my head here. I'm terrible with names. That's it. But, but yeah, and he, he had actually been working with Rick Baker. On mm -hmm. special effects, Rick Baker had, was originally going to do the Howling, and then John Landis got his got money for American Werewolf in London, and ended up pulling uh, Baker off of the Howling to go do American Werewolf in London. But 
he had left, you know, Botkin there, or Botine, excuse me there, and Botine was following very similar, he had been working with Baker, and so was following a very similar line of uh, study for how to do these transformation effects. And what you really see is the immature version of the American Werewolf in London effects in The Howling. You know, and that's why they ended up making the scene in the howling a bit darker because they knew the effects were good, but they weren't amazing. And then by the time, you know, Baker put them out in American Werewolf in London, they just looked fantastic. Well, so, so is the, is the uh, howling the other film that would kind of give you, um, that you, you, that you put in the same category or is it a, diff- a different film? I you know it's funny because I actually think of the howling. I I really like the howling, and yeah. I put that one in one of my top five. But it's a different film, and uh, it's interesting because I actually read the book mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago, and reading the book and then watching the movie, the two are very different. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, they really are. And uh, I don't know if you've ever read the book, but have, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know long, long ago. Yeah, yeah really different. Yeah. And, you know, the film, I actually prefer, this is a rare case, but I actually prefer the film to the book. I do too, actually. You I know, mean, I, I, and, it's, I, I like the book okay, but I did think the movie was better. Yeah, they, they took they took the, the salient points and the really interesting uh-huh. kind of core of that whole idea of the colony of, uh, well, what turns out to be a colony of werewolves. They, take, they yeah. took that and they built a more interesting story around it, I think, so, yeah. Well, that's it, and I like the fact that they built in all the psychology that goes along with it. And it's funny, you know, you bring that up because I think of the psychology of the werewolves, them try, you know, them trying to be better than they are, but really wanting to revert to their primal nature and things like that. A lot of that psychology actually goes into some of the stuff I write. So, you know, I really identify with that film on that level. But I do have a funny story about not so much The Howling, but The Howling 2. Your <laughs> sister's a werewolf. Okay, look, look. I think you can only... What, everybody what, everybody has there? the same funny story about The Howling 2. <laughs> which, which one's that? <laughs> That's the, and suddenly I saw breasts again and yeah. again and again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have the story about why that why that happened from Sybil Danning herself. Yeah, and I don't oh. think she, I don't think she found it that funny, did she? <laughs> no, she didn't. And no, this not was at all. Uh, a few years ago. I uh, did an interview with Sybil Danning at uh, at a convention in Louisville. She was a guest, and she was. It was an interesting interview because what happened was uh, I came to her table. It was Sunday. She was getting you know going to close up in a bit, and. Uh, you know, I'm, and said, you know, I'm writing, I'd like to do an interview with you for, you know, feature for one of my websites. And she said, oh, that'd be fine. And so we start talking and she's telling me all these stories. And <clears throat> one of the stories she told me was the fact that when they finished shooting the film, okay, there were two things that happened. They went into Eastern Europe to shoot this film. So they were actually behind the Iron Curtain. I think it was in Romania or Bulgaria. And they were actually behind the Iron Curtain filming Mm -hmm. because they could get, they got these permits to go into this little village with the castle and all these great locations. And the crew was dirt cheap and everything was super cheap, but they were behind the Iron Curtain. So they literally had these KGB guys in trench coats and fedora looking hats that were stationed with them 
and kind of following them around. I mean, it was something right out of Spy versus Spy, she said. But what was really bad, though, when they got there, they found that their special effects crew had not brought the right equipment. So they had brought special effects for creating gorillas. <laughs> and so if you watch the film, they're not, there is not actually a lot of footage with actual werewolves in it. There's a lot of furry people, and there's a lot of, a lot of furry stuff going on, but they really had to make up the stuff for the werewolves on the fly. And, and they couldn't get stuff shipped in because it was coming behind the Iron Curtain, and they had this very tight shooting window. So they went ahead and filmed. You know, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. But the other thing was that when the film got completed, it was too short for a domestic theatrical release. And so the director, and the name escapes me, but he just said, well, you know what we could do? We aren't going to film anything extra. Just do that scene of Sybil Danning ripping her top off. We're just going to drop that into the credits every 15 seconds. <laughs> yep. And wow. and sure enough, they managed to pad out a minute and a half extra footage by sticking that in something like 15 times now, during the credits. You know, for years, my theory on why they did that has always been until, of course, this story, that the, the reason for the number of times that they repeated it, was that that was the average length of time it took an adolescent to masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> that would, uh, Just a theory. Very, very, yeah. <laughs> very well thought out. Very astute. You know, yeah. you know that is an actual, that's actually yeah. a better, uh, a better story <laughs> yeah. than the reality of it. And I think, I'm going to go with what you said from that <laughs> point. But, but now, uh, now I'll tell you the, uh, and now you might understand, now you might want to know, well, Nick, you never did publish that interview with Sybil Danning. Oh, you did not. No, I didn't. And you know why? Oh, no. So I finish up the interview, and Sybil Danning looks at me and just goes, would you like a copy of The Howling 2? And I was like, certainly. And she hands it to me, and then she goes, oh, here, pick a photo, too, and I'll sign it for you. And I'm like, oh, well, thank you. And then she signs it with my name on both of them. Right. And then she turns around to me and goes, that'll be $50. I thought that's what you were going to say. Uh, <laughs> and, and I just sat there and I looked and she'd written my name on both of them. And I'm like, oh, boy. I just got hustled by Sybil Danning. <laughs> well, <you know>. Yep. <laughs> and so uh, so I uh, paid her her $50. And I just put the interview in my pocket and walked away. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, she was a very nice lady when I was talking to her, but I just got hustled by Sybil Danning. So kudos to her. She earned well, my $50. Yeah, but played I just, like a I cheap violin, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, but I decided not to post the interview. Oh, so. my goodness. <laughs> well, well, I guess it's, was that in revenge? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if it was really revenge. I was just kind of, I was so annoyed at the time. I just didn't. And here was what was really annoyed. I got home with the with the movie, and it turned out she had given me a bootleg copy of her own film. Oh, no. And it wouldn't play. <laughs> Oh, I am not surprised. Wow. So I was, I was just, it was just, it was like the hits just kept on coming. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I actually had to go to a lot of trouble 
to turn around and watch uh, The Howling 2 again, just so I could remember how bad it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. About every 15 years I watch it, and every 15 years I go, man, I never need to see this again. But, yeah, well, you know, Christopher Lee, uh, yeah, God bless, they had Christopher Lee in that, and that yeah. just proves if you write a check... Some people will show up. <laughs> yes, and, and Christopher Lee was always one of those. You know, and I, God love him. He was a working actor, all right, because he, right. you know, the guy that was, you know, he's played in all the major film franchises in the new millennium, and he was in The Howling 2, Your Sister's a Werewolf. <laughs> oh. and, and I will still argue that that's probably not the worst film Christopher Lee was ever in. No, I would say probably not. Oh, yeah. oh God, no. <laughs> no, but, no, but, no, but, no. You know, in the 80s and, but you know, in the 80s and 90s, that was really uh, kind of a common what you talk about with the day, uh, Eastern European countries became oh, yeah. very popular places for filming with, uh, like, I know Charles Band's like Empire Pictures used it oh, yeah. uh, a lot because of the fact that you could film so cheaply over there, really. Relatively. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially oh. after the Iron Curtain fell in '89. Oh yeah. That's when you had that big because all the all the uh, what was it the subspecies movies yeah, that Charles yeah, Band did, Full Moon, yeah. and a lot of the Puppet Masters. He was shooting all those over there. And, so and uh, they're discovering what the European horror filmmakers you know knew for years is that the locations over there are just gold. You know, you can you know oh, you just well, you just open look on down any street and it's and it's and you've got instant. Period setting right there, you know. You well, know, true, say, yeah. true. Well, that's it. And I mean, castles, for God's yeah. sake. What Ruins, production castles, value yeah. is that? Oh, yeah. yeah you exactly, know, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. You just don't, you don't find castles just laying around in, in America. Right. No, At least not many of them. No, there might be no. a couple. I mean, hell, there's one in Versailles, Kentucky, that some rich guy built for his girlfriend back in the 70s. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's but it's not a really great castle. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, but if you went back 500 years, uh -huh. there were people bad-mouthing those castles, too. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they were. You know, oh, what kind of moat is that? Oh, I could lay siege to that. Or get it out oh, what did you fill it with, human urine? Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Oh, I bet they only killed 100 peasants making that wall. <laughs> oh, how droll. Okay, okay. It's here. It's alive. It's moving. It's coming this way. It's the wolf monster, a new ghastly creature from the world of darkness, evil, and horror. Frightening, fear-filling, fiendish, and fantastic horror is here. <laughs> is unleashed as the hideous wolf monster is brought to life. From out of the crypts of undead beings comes a maniacal blood-mad demon seeking new living victims. A new grotesque killer with new frightening fiends to shock you speechless. You'll meet the vampire doctor, master of unholy witchcraft, the ghoul woman, a female demon whose kiss means doom, and the fantastic 
flesh mad wolf monster. Miss Frankenstein's bloody terror. It's a super shock spectacle of hideous horror in Chillerama 70 and gory color. Rated GP. Okay. Um, we asked you on here because you are a werewolf fan and you've written werewolf stories, and so there's a certain affinity there for the for the myth and the the, the kind of legend of the werewolf. Um, had you uh, ever seen a Paul Nashie film before just recently? Well, you know, I hadn't seen many of them, but I'd actually seen uh, Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf, which uh, was one of the two that you sent me. And I had seen it a long time ago. And I had also seen, I guess, the Spanish version, because it was a fairly cleaned up version that I'd seen. But yeah, I'd seen it. But honestly, I, you know, even though I'd listened to some of the Nashy cast and, uh, you know, talk, you know, you've been on the B movie cast before calling in talking about it. I really hadn't dug deeply into the Paul Nashy werewolf films. And so it was a real pleasure to get to watch these. You know, I have to say, I, thought you know i mean yeah you know it's a it's a lower budget production but they did a good job with it they made the werewolf uh you know the werewolf effects look pretty good and you know god love him paul nashy just he was kind of the james bond of werewolves or something <laughs> you know he just too, yeah. he just he just show up in his sports coat and his <laughs> turtleneck and oh, yeah. and you know, I just kept waiting for him to ask for a martini shaken, not stirred. And, then, you know, and then he turned into a werewolf. It was awesome. Well, so, we've, often, the, we've often said that about that Paul Nashi, you know, basically has um, the character of Valdemar Janinsky is just sort of who Paul Nashi needs him to be for whatever particular werewolf story he's telling. You know, it's, it's yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. Well, then he's just the names all that seems to carry over. Right, right. <laughs> Precisely, you don't, and that's the beautiful. That's the beautiful part of it is that you can watch the Valdemar Daninsky werewolf movies in any random order in which you find them, and you're still okay because if you go searching for some kind of you know narrative through line, <laughs> yeah. you are playing a fool's game, my friend. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <clears throat> and I consider that one of the. I consider that one of the things to recommend the movies because sure. yeah, there was there was. You know, he could have tried to do something like that. And, and one could argue that there are two films that there, there's two films where they kind of coexist in the same world and they kind of are one is a continuation of the other. But yeah. boy, boy, that is a rarity. Mm. <clears throat> but the beautiful thing about this is, OK, well, one of the first one of the films I, 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 I sent you was the uh, the Spanish version of his first film, uh, Mark of the Werewolf. Yeah, um, and the reason I sent you that version is so that you would not uh, have the cognitive dis dissonance that most people have when they're introduced to that film under the title Frankenstein's Bloody Terror. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, because quite bluntly, there is no Frankenstein in it, but there's everything else. <laughs> we got your mad scientist, we got your werewolf, we got your vampires. 
We got you. Uh, we got you, sexy blonde gypsies. Mm-hmm. Wait, that's not a monster. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's not a monster. Hang on, I'm sorry. No, no, no that wasn't a monster, but, that, young, but she yeah, was, was a special dreams. effect. Oh yeah, Rosanna, Rosanna, yeah, Yanni is. Uh, yeah, uh, Rosanna Yanni is very much uh, a special effect. She yeah. always adds uh, a certain level of awesome yeah. to yeah. any yeah, production. She, so she brings two big talents to any production. <laughs> oh, and a beautiful, Your eyes is what you mean, right? That was exactly yes, what I was mean. thinking Wait, of, were you her thinking, eyes. You were thinking about something else? <laughs> <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. Every time I watch Rosanna Yanni in this particular film in uh, Mark of the Werewolf, all I take note of <clears throat> for like the first few minutes, okay, well, okay, the second thing I take note of <laughs> is that she's running around the entire film barefoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that that to me is I you know I know there are all these tricks you can pull when you're when you're making a movie so that it you know so that yeah yeah they're barefoot but you've made sure that uh, you know there's nothing that's going to harm the the actor she's got a very safe area that's you know they've cleared of debris and they've cleared of all yeah. the things that can be a problem and I just kept thinking to myself. This I don't know that they did that for her. <laughs> I, I'm gonna go ahead and say they probably didn't. She just, you know, she just hard footed it, dudes. Yeah. I mean, I guess, she was I methoding, so. method, method. She was a method, method actor. Wanted to be that gypsy, yeah. uh, barefoot gypsy uh, thing. But so Nick did. Uh, now, do you know the? Do you know the story? The backstory of, of why it's called Frankenstein's Bloody Terror? Did you? Have you well, heard that? you know, I did a little bit of research on it, and as far as I could tell. It was because the American distributor needed a Frankenstein yeah. movie. Yeah, Sam Sherman, who was, uh, who you know, was uh, was it Independent International? Is that the uh, company that uh, Sam yes. Sherman? Yes, was? yes. Uh, Sam Sherman was uh, uh, basically had promised the distributor a Frankenstein movie, which I think might have been what ultimately became Al Adamson's Dracula versus Frankenstein movie. Yeah, yeah. If memory serves, the the Al Adamson's film, Al Adamson film, Dracula versus Frankenstein was supposed to be it. I Maybe think. It's, it's whatever it was. I know it was a Frankenstein it wasn't film that finished. was either. Yeah, it was just yeah. It was having delays and getting finished so Sam Sherman basically had to give them something and he he, he really enjoyed Paul Nashie's film he thought Mark of the Wolfman had a lot of potential um, have you seen the now I guess the version you had did not have then the American opening credits but have you managed to see no, those no, have it, you ever it, seen it, the, that he did not see that he did not see that stuff <laughs> no. Rod might drop it in as a sound bite into this but it's pretty hysterical yeah. what they did was they basically came up with this animated opening that basically just tells you that the Frankenstein family, after they fled, you know, after Frankenstein had to, to flee Germany uh, and had to change his name from Frankenstein to Wolfstein. And uh, ah. <laughs> and, ah. and you basically see this animated Frankenstein head morph into this wolfman's head. And there you have it. There's your whole explanation. And then the film is just yep. off and running yep. doing what it's going to do. So it's just, I love, you know, one of, those, one of those things from that era that will never happen again, you know. this. <laughs> Now, the most frightening Frankenstein story of all, as the ancient werewolf curse brands the family of monster makers as Wolfstein. Wolfstein, the inhuman clan of blood-hungry wolf monsters. You know, it's amazing what what folks would get away with yeah, for oh, that. Oh, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's there are all kinds of stories like this when you're talking about uh, American distribution or just distribution of, of a lot of these kind of European horror films. My favorite to this day is is the the story of uh, some lunatic somewhere trying to convince people that uh, the first Blind Dead film was a Planet of the Apes sequel. So <laughs> that is that is one of the best. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, that's, that's, wow. It was called Revenge okay. of the Planet Ape, was what they called uh, it. Okay, and I guess they sort of look like 
That was no, the uh, no, zombies <laughs> and hoods and okay, God help us all. Yeah. Well, well you know, yeah, it's ahead. it's funny you talk about distribution and stuff like that because I've worked with um you know with through bmovieman.com I've talked with a lot of indie filmmakers and I've actually produced a couple of films and. The thing is, when you talked about to indie filmmakers about distribution, they all, we all get the same look on our face, which is oh god, mm. you know. And <laughs> yeah. and the market for distribution has changed radically in the last ten years. I mean, it's it's uh, you really are making a movie because you just want to make a movie, yeah. and if you make money on it, it's sort of an accidental event. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's you know, it's unfortunate, but that's kind of. The situation, unless you're, unless you're, you've got a budget over two hundred and fifty thousand, that's kind of what you're looking at. But one of the things talking to filmmakers, very common, I used to hear was that they would they would show their film, they would take it to you know to film festivals, they would take it to some of these uh, you know distribution meetings, things like that, and come out of it and basically distributors would give them a laundry list of what they needed to add to their film to be able to sell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're like, and, and I distinctly remember one guy, he had made a, a horror film and he had purposefully made it kind of family friendly. And after the third distributor told him, okay, you need a, this guy was very specific. He said, you need a beheading <laughs> and you need at least three women to take their tops off. Wow. This was pretty specific direction. But, you know, so the, the thing is, distribution, it sounds like it hasn't changed a lot. Uh, it's changed radically, but at the same time, the expectations for film haven't changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you were saying about, oh, you know, they make this change to make it go over in America. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a joke now with filmmakers. If you put breasts in, you guarantee your German distribution. Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> that's kind of a joke. So. Well, I mean, female breasts have always been the cheapest special effect, so... Well, it, you know, it depends on whose breasts, but I, you know, I digress. Well, the I, I don't, I don't discriminate, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, there's there's a funny one. I was reading an interview with Jamie Lee Curtis, mm-hmm. and you know, she did the original Halloween. She did Terror Train. She did The Fog. She did all these independent or quasi independent horror films and none, in none the of, early eighties. Yeah. None of which she's nude in. Yeah, none. The first time she had to take her top off right. was for uh, Trading Places. Sure was, yeah. Yes. You know, yes. with an Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd vehicle back when, you know, those those two names were, were you know, guaranteed star names. And sure enough, that's the movie she had to take her top off for. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I remember it well. I mean, yeah, that's a sad, <laughs> sad story. <laughs> See, my theory, going back to the Sybil Danning uh, ending credits of Howl- Howling 2, is, you know, my, I had a third one that was different from the two. You guys always thought that it was so people wouldn't wear out their rewind buttons on the uh, their rewind on their on their VHS or VCR remote. There, you know, it's, I thought it was a, a gesture on the part of the filmmaker, like we want to save. We want to help you. Yeah, want to so. help folks. Out. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it on that one, Troy, because I think they would want you to wear it out so they could sell more video. <laughs> well, you're right. You're yet to get you know, you know, right. uh, We are we are uh, 
dangerously off track here. We're talking about Paul Nashy at some point. <laughs> it's true, and, 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 and it's it's always a healthy thing to talk about breasts when you're talking about Paul Nashy, both both the women's or his. It's it's they're going to show up. It's fine. But the, the the question I have is now that you've seen what was his first film, and I will say <clears throat> this was a larger budget film than than average for the time. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean it was a huge budget, but it was shot in 70, 70 millimeter, and uh, it was originally shot with the idea to being a 3D movie. Yeah. And, and um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it's funny, because I watched the ending credits, and I noticed that it said it was in 70 millimeter, and I was like, wait a minute, 70 millimeter? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking production. that's... You know that's Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, there, like, there was some ambition behind this, and uh, the there's some there's some um, some of the visuals, some of the widescreen visuals that you can see in the film very easily. I mean, you can see what they were aiming for. They're trying to be gothic. They're they're doing that thing we're talking about. They're taking advantage of the fact that you know you can run around this you know run around in certain areas there in Spain, and you know there's all kinds of ruins. There's the, there are these catacombs. There's things that you can make look very, very scary and very, very creepy without too much effort. Uh, of course, they're not averse to, like, cranking up that freaking fog machine to 11 and a half. Oh, but, God, no. <laughs> but they also go out of their way. There's a lot of uh, really effective, what I what I nowadays call bobble lighting, which is the color, you know, the colored lights. Uh, you know, yep. you blue, green, you know, primary colors, blue, green, or red to, yep. uh, to, to light certain things and to give contrast and depth to, to certain shots. Um, yeah. And then um, something that you mentioned earlier about uh, Paul Nashi and, you know, this is his first portrayal of a werewolf. This is his first monster movie. Uh, he wrote it. He ended up being the star. And one of the things that I really love about it is going back and rewatching this movie. I wondered what how you felt about this was I love the just viciousness. And I had forgotten there's a scene where uh, the, these two people, this uh, I guess husband and wife, are attacked by the werewolf in their home. And I had yeah. forgotten this one little detail, which is that he goes for the husband first because he's the th- he's stupidly the person moving around and therefore attracts the, attracts yeah. the attention of the werewolf. And he goes straight for the guy's throat, and there's this splat. There's this liquid that, that kind of explodes away from the dude's neck as he goes at his throat. And the shot doesn't zoom in on it or anything like that. It's nothing graphic. It's just that you can see that blood splattered away from this guy's neck as the werewolf digs in. And it's like, wow, that was effective. And I didn't really remember that. Well, yeah, and that was was pretty – it was pretty gruesome. But I tell you what really impressed me in that same scene – was after he did, does that, he tosses the guy into the fireplace. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And yes. the guy is sitting there, and this, and I'm sitting there thinking while this is happening, that dude, even if he's not in the fire, he is really close to that fire. <laughs> yes. And, you know, his legs are on fire at several it points. Could, could in this, and I'm like, yeah. man, that guy was a method actor, or he really <laughs> needed that paycheck. <laughs> it could be yeah, after his, uh, his legs were on fire. <laughs> yeah, I was. I always, always, you know, thought maybe the werewolf after attacking several gypsy campfires, I might have just had grown accustomed to the taste of like cooked meat, and so he was sort of like putting that's like how you put something on the fire to like roast for a little while while you kill you know, something else. <laughs> he, like, he, he likes he likes pan seared gypsy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, uh, you know, not not just yes. your raw gypsy. He yeah, prefers pan seared. Yeah. Well, I, I'm assuming. <laughs> And we may we may need to we may, we may need to talk with some more werewolves to kind of dope this out. But is the neck meat an appetizer? Is really kind of what I wonder. So, 
Well, you know, here's the thing about going for the throat, because if you uh, if you look at actual wolves and the way they hunt and act in a group, uh, there's two main areas that wolves will go for when they attack an animal. Oh, yeah. One is they will go for the legs to hobble them, mm-hmm. and that's especially if they're in a pack. But the other is they go for the throat. Yeah. And and the third is they'll go for the groin. And it's not so much because they, oh, God, my balls, not that. Yeah, yeah. It's more because there's the femoral artery yeah. runs through your legs in that area. And if you get if you get the femoral artery in yeah. your leg cut, that's just as bad as having your throat cut. I mean, you'll yeah. bleed out in a minute. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's, well, I brought in too much real wolf science yeah. there oh, for no, us. That's right. No, this no, no, that's right. And, and, and I... I, I honestly don't think that the Nashy folks were actually thinking about that. I think they were thinking, man, that'll be a quick way to kill people and make it look good. So yeah. let's do that. Yeah, let's so. rip throats out. And I always, yeah. I, yeah, and I always thought that uh, I, maybe out of all of his movies, I mean, Nashy did some, had some other vicious scenes as werewolves, and depending on who was his director, you know, there, he was allowed to varying degrees to to really act like a wild animal. Uh, and then there's some films where, as he put it himself, he was, he was directed to walk like a, uh, a Madrid pimp, you know, and you know, <laughs> so, uh, he, but, you know, but, but in this particular film, I think he may cut loose in this film more than any yeah. other one that he ever did afterwards, you know, as far as just uh, scene by well, scene, you know, as the werewolf, I, as far I as think the way that out. to a large degree, remember mm-hmm. that it was always the Lon Chaney Wolfman that was, you know, kind of his guiding star, mm-hmm. and so yeah. what, what? What this I think to a large degree is is, you, is a huge Universal Monsters fanatic getting the chance to play a Wolfman and doing that, doing the things that as a child you always imagined were was happening on screen, but that they couldn't show you. Yeah, and so yeah. what you get, what you get is a full blooded <laughs> throat ripping critter. Uh, do, doing what you know is happening because there's there's there are lines of dialogue in those classic Universal horror, horror films that give you an impression of things more more horrible than we can show you. Well, by this time we still can't show you everything, but we can get real close. I mean, we can you know we can show teeth sinking into throats and things like this, and we can show blood, and we can get away you know in in vivid color and in 3D and in 70 millimeter for God's sake. Yeah. But, well, and and you know it's that nice it's that nice sixties seventies special effect blood that looks red. like yeah. you know kind of red paint yeah. really yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 well it certainly it certainly stands out that's one of the that's one of the things that uh, I always find I mean it's one of the things I like a lot about um, films from that era is that there's a certain unreality to uh, the blood. But it just seems to it just seems in keeping with what they're doing, especially when it's in a in a tale that, you know, is already kind of a, a heightened reality to begin with, kind of a fairy tale or a mm-hmm. you know a, 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 that that kind of thing where a, a Grimm's fairy tale to a degree. Yeah, no, I see that, and and you know, I also one of the things, especially you watch a lot of Italian horror, and they have the same thing. I mean, Argento. And, you know, used to use that same kind of blood, but it carried over even to, you know, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, they, it it all had that same style in it. And, and, you know, it's, it's unrealistic, but at the same time, it was very graphic. Yes. You know, and, and it really, to me, it made the blood, you know, it was kind of, it was chilling, you know, to see that stuff. So. Well, with Mark of the Wolfman, just uh, a few a few questions about different things in the movie. We, uh, I, I am curious 
the <laughs> how do how do how do I put this without sounding like I'm trying to lead you into a joke? Because I'm not. Yeah. But there does come a point in the movie where um um some new characters appear. <laughs> let, let, let's just put it that way. And um, at first, these new characters uh, were we're told we're we're probably getting to the mad scientist territory. And yet, yeah. the instant they yeah. show up. There that was is, the first thing you thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's no way. Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll just I'll tell you. Years ago, when I when I was watching this, this is this was back when we watched it to, to do our first episode of the Nashi Cast. Right. I'm watching it with my girlfriend at the time, and those yeah. two, those two characters appear out of the swirling fog, and her line was, "Oh well, they're not vampires or anything." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because they popped up, and I was like, huh, "They're." mad scientists but they sort of seem like vampires <laughs> but you know and that comes out but i tell you what they were they were the most interpretive dance vampires uh, i've ever seen well now we're yes. getting to something we need to discuss because this was a big point of this probably rod and i's biggest dis- disagreement over this film as far as liking disliking something uh is uh this the whole uh what Rod Rod has called the dan- dance of the seven vampires is what uh, Rod, what Rod, Rod calls it that whole sort of mating dance that the uh, ma- male vampire does uh, with the girl and uh, I thought it was a great bizarre kind of fairy tale weird European horror kind of touch there and uh, Rod was not too Rod thought it was a bit silly so uh, what what's your take on it <laughs> a bit silly that's one way to put it <laughs> uh, okay you know it's funny because when I was watching it all I was thinking was. You know, the guy playing the vampire, he was sitting there going, yeah, I've got to do this, don't I? Yeah, i got to do this, don't I? Like, yep, okay, to, I'm going to sweep this you cake know, around her, and then I'm going to pirouette, <laughs> and now I'm going to run up here, and I'm going to pirouette again, and then she's going to come running up to me, and I'm going to scoop her up, and I'm going to pirouette some more. And I, I'm watching this guy, and I'm like, you know, this is... I, it, it sort of to me, it's not any more silly than sparkling and sunshine. <laughs> okay, you know, it's 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 that's what the vampire did. So you know, yeah, it's kind of goofy, but at the same time, I think it kind of fit. Yeah. And here's well, here's my thing about it: mm. the vampire is elegant, kind of mm. you know, yeah. kind of well, supposed to be elegant, supposed to be all this. And the werewolf is, you know, you've already said this is na- probably Nashie's most mm. animalistic werewolf. And, you know, sure enough, the werewolf, man, I was expecting to see him, you know, scratching and spinning in a circle before he laid down. I mean, he yeah. was very, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. very, very animal-like at points. Mm. And I think the two things contrasted very nicely. Mm. You know, it was an interesting contrast to see how they portrayed them differently. And I honestly think there was a certain amount of direction going on there that was, hey, you know, let's uh, let's do this this vampire and let's have him be very fluid, very elegant, very dance like in his movements. Yeah. And you know, we'll see what happens. And I think also, I mean, go ahead. I was just going to say, I do think it's funny that all of a sudden he has that big-ass cape on, too. <laughs> well, and yeah. I think those get yeah. issued with the fangs. I'm not sure. <laughs> sure they do, Stand, but the other, the other thing was his was uh, was Wasanda, the female vampire. Yeah. Was that yeah. her name? Wasanda? Yeah. Or Wandessa? Yeah, Van Wandessa or Wandessa. That's a name that... 
Yeah, that's a name that uh, Nashi uses a couple of times throughout his career. It's a character name that he uses a few times, yeah. yeah well, she, uh, okay, she had the hair going on. Oh, I got to yeah. say that. Big red, big <laughs> yes. red. Big yeah, red. when she had the red, the red turban going on yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. with her, you know, I'm like, man, that's a beehive and a half. That's where the bats nest. You know, I, I figured, I figured her husband was just a bat and he was living in there. <laughs> You know, come popping out when he was ready. It's like an RV for him or something. You know, <laughs> well, something else. Rewatching this movie just the other night, I was uh, I was kind of impressed with the fact that, they, that when they stake, uh, not not to get too spoilery, people, but yeah, the vampires get staked. Hmm. Uh, but the, what? <laughs> <laughs> when they stake the female vampire, I was really impressed with how they did it because they just keep it. You know they they they're very clever in how they're doing it so that you, you they they shove the the stake into the female vampire's chest and then she kind of she sits up and she's you know she's holding it and as a you know as as someone who's a savvy film watcher you know that they're they're being smart about how they've attached this they're being smart about the fact that she can keep it from you know she's probably holding it in place to a certain degree she's keeping it from wobble, wobbling around right right, right. <laughs> but I. It had been so long since I'd watched this movie again. I was just really impressed by how effective that was, and it's like that's not how it was. Sh- that's not how it was shot for the like say just the Hammer films just a few years before. You know, it would be a couple of different shots. So I think that clearly yeah. they were trying to make a statement here with no, no, no. You're going to see this all in one shot. You're going to see the actor, you know, reacting to being staked in the same shot. You're not going to. We're not going to have that cutaway so that you can, yeah. you know, as a filmmaker, you or as a film watcher, you know exactly that. Okay, okay. Well, I, you know, this is a whole different thing. This could have been done the next day. And I, just, I just think that's really needed. It's it's little effective pieces like that that. Who knows? Maybe it was being done because it was a smart budgetary move, but maybe it was being done as a as an artistic statement, as, so, as someone trying to to one up past uh, vampire stakings. I don't know. You know, and that's a good that's a good. You brought up a good point there, and I don't know either. But I will say, I actually noticed when they staked her how uh, that scene because. He came barreling in and just he's opened the coffin and just brings that state down. Yeah, and she catches it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, if they screwed up that take, even if that thing was foam rubber, it was again would probably hurt. You know, you know, and hell, this is East. You know, this was Spain. They could have been using a real state. You know, it's like. It's like, okay, uh, baby, you got one chance. You missed this, and you're going down in infamy, you know, and we're we're going to jail. But <laughs> no, we're, hiding, we're hiding the body and recasting. It's just, yeah. it's the way or, or, you know what, keep it rolling, and that's yeah. just, you know, it's it's production value, man. It's production value. <laughs> and let's not forget that in amidst all this, we also got uh, something that uh, happens all too rarely, and I know you had to love Nick, was you got a werewolf on werewolf violence, you know. Oh, between, God, yeah. You know, they to mix it up, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was his name? Amir Wolfenstein. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's like really, um, he happens to be named Wolfenstein and gets cursed with, with lycanthropy. Yeah, that sure is convenient. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, one does wait for someone to, to to just look straight at the camera and go, "What are the odds?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. 
Uh, but, you know, God, God love you, Jancito Molina, mm-hmm. Mr. Paul Nashie's real name. That's, you know. Hey, he, like, knew what he, was, he knew what he was doing. What do you want to see hey. in a monster movie? You want to see werewolves fighting werewolves. You want to see werewolves fighting vampires. Yeah. Yeah. You want to see yeah. gypsy women. You want to see blood. You want to see interpretive dance. Wait, back up. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. You want to see Inter- O'Deary publications, uh, mag- <laughs> magazines. You want to see those covers come to life, you know. And, and, yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, Euro horror films came the closest to doing that, you know, to, to, to making the covers of witches' tales and vampire tales now actually come to life. <laughs> come so, to life. Yeah. Well, uh, the, uh, the, the beauty of this film is that uh, in, in a lot of ways, like I say, you, 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 you come for the, the werewolf and you get two of them. Mm-hmm. And you also yeah. get you get bonus vampires. What more? What more do you need? I mean, it's it's really overselling. That's why I've always thought that renaming it Frankenstein's Bloody <laughs> Terror was literally the only way in the world to be... have pissed off an audience. Yeah, <laughs> they were like, "Man, I'm going to get me some Frankenstein's tonight," and then uh, and then you just like, <laughs> and what Frankenstein? <laughs> yeah. eh, you know. But, well, and you know, it's it, it's funny because we had this one, and then we had uh, the you know Doctor Jekyll and the Wolfman. Yeah, let's, the let's, other let's one we watched. Let's talk about that one a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because I uh, I actually thought there were some really really good scenes in that. Yeah, uh, I think possibly my favorite. You know, he's it's hey, I'm I'm Vladimir Wolbeski, and I'm gonna go get cured by visiting the grandson of Doctor Jekyll, <laughs> and because sure, the Doctor Jekyll formula will somehow be a cure for lycanthropy. Okay, sure, why not? Hey, but I hey, love the fact you, that he goes to the clinic. With, you can't argue with mad scientist logic. Yeah. No, you can't. But I love the fact that he goes to the vampire cl- or to the to Doctor Jekyll's clinic, and what bad luck to get stuck in the elevator <laughs> with the nurse. Oh, even worse, <laughs> even worse luck for her. Yeah. yeah. On the that night of the full luck. moon. The night, yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm going to say, you know what? The the moon is only full. Technically, one night, but possibly you could call it three nights a month. If you go with the the, with the night immediately out. before and immediately after, it's almost full. So you got maybe one to three days a month that you got to be careful. Mm-hmm. Why are you going to the clinic that day? <laughs> well, no, remember, in the film, he's going there because that's the day when they know mm-hmm. the transformation is going to happen. So they're, mm-hmm. he's, go, he's going there and they're going to try their treatment. But the problem becomes... Damned mechanical shit breaks down every time. <laughs> yep, and and that was also a very Star Trek looking elevator on the inside. I mean, what was all that corrugated steel? I mean, that, <laughs> you, you expect to make that sound, you know, when they speak to it. Now, okay, now, okay, Nick. Um, so according to that film, then you know, you obviously don't have to be within sight of the moon's rays or you know to trigger the transformation so how does that yeah. fit with your own idea of like werewolf lore you know because it i did it means there must be something some other pool there that's you know that's well, it's a, the it's it's the tides the tides the tides unlike bill o'reilly yeah. we know how this shit works yeah well you know it's funny because there is a st- there is a st- statistically significant link mm. between the full moon and you know, criminal activity, oh, yeah. sleep yeah. behavior, people yeah, acting so, yeah. insane, sleep apnea, all yeah. sorts of different things True. are linked directly to the full moon and the effect it has on people. And I think a lot of the legends, a lot of the original legends of werewolves and lycanthropy had nothing to do with the moon. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Most of them True. did. Um, you know, that's more of a Hollywood affectation more than anything else. But that said, in my own mythos, I, you know, I take the moon as its cycle kind of controls the dominance of the animalistic side. Mm-hmm. So the closer you are to a full moon, the harder it is for you to maintain your human control when you're a werewolf. And so, you know, and you're going to, you know, by the time you get to the night of the full moon, you're going to have to transform or you're going to go through a lot of physical issues. You know, it's going to be like going through heroin withdrawal or something to avoid transforming into the werewolf. So you just want to go ahead and do it, you know. But I I do think it's interesting that they don't require being, you know, having seen the seen the full moon. But honestly, I don't know that that even like the classic, you know, Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr., if he needed to see the full moon because he would transform no matter where he was if the moon came out and. The funny thing was, though, even though he'd be in a house or something mm-hmm. and no windows to see the moon or whatever, he'd transform. But it would only happen when the moon comes out from behind clouds. <laughs> You're right. Because, so, yeah, or 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 like or uh, on the opposite end of it, you know, sometimes it was always amusing to me when there's times when and not just in Lon Chaney movies, but the times when the, the character does not a character does not change to a wolf until he suddenly looks up and realizes Oh the, shit! Oh, look at the Oh god, it's a full moon. Yeah, yeah you know, it's sort of the Wiley e. Coyote yeah. transformation yeah. style. Yeah, you know. Oh, oh god, I've noticed that I'm I'm not on ground yeah, anymore. I should yeah, fall. Right. <laughs> well, I've always been of the opinion that it's uh, it's the you know it doesn't doesn't matter where you are. It's that tidal pull. It's that yeah. it's that same thing. It's the it's the 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 moon's effects, and and you could be locked in a cage, and it wouldn't matter. And I think that. Uh, that's one of yeah. the, that's what that's one of the the neater things about that, and one of the reasons why I despise the film Von Helsing. So, um, <laughs> yeah, one of many reasons to despise yeah, that film. The, but yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I have a cogent list of a nine hundred and seventy three reasons. So we'll discuss that at a different time. But right now, I just want to say with uh, Doctor Jekyll and the Wolfman, I still find it amazing because this was a very very uh, uh, busy period of time. There was a lot of creativity flying around in the Nashi camp when they made this film. And at a certain point, you have to realize when you start looking at the titles of the movies and the, and the plot lines, especially when you get to this one, you have to realize there was there had to have been a concerted effort just kind of you know, spitballing, walking around going, what the fuck have we not done? Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> yeah. Well, we've had aliens. Let's try Dr. Jekyll. Right, not, right, right. You know? so, but the thing is, as soon as you read that title... You, 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 I mean, it's, it's a natural thing for me to go, why did this never happen before? Why did we never have Dr. Jekyll, who is a bona fide mad scientist, interacting with other supernatural, or not necessarily supernatural, but just other monsters of different types? It seems like such a natural that I'm shocked to this day that Universal or Hammer or somebody, some other independent producer didn't just jump all over that at some point. Well, you know, and it's... It's interesting you bring that up because I think that's a valid point. The other thing is, I think it's very cool that you have Dr. Jekyll and the werewolf. Mm -hmm. Because really, they are two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. You have a human who is a normal, you know, 
human with good and evil inside them transformed into, in the case of Dr. Jekyll, it's the embodiment of human evil. Mm. In the case of the Wolfman, it's a mindless beast that is driven to kill. But in either case, the result is kind of the same thing. What you've got is somebody that's going to act out on these violent impulses. You know, now the big difference I think in the Nashi film was when he's the when he's the the werewolf, he'll just kill the chicks. When he's uh, Doctor Jekyll, he's gonna you know tickle the pickle and beat them with whips and then kill the chicks. <laughs> which kind of makes the which kind of makes the werewolf's like quote unquote evil sort of more of like almost more of a pure kind of you know it's almost it's a much it's a much less rapey evil. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's much 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 less rapey evil. Yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, I, that was one thing that surprised me in the film was that, you know, Nashi's character, you know, Waldemir becomes oh, yeah. Dr. Jekyll or yeah. becomes the, the Dr. Jekyll well, the creation. The Hyde, excuse me, the Hyde. No, I agree. I think it's one of the most brilliant twists in the film because you see the title and the whole time you're thinking, okay, at some point the werewolf and, and Mr. Hyde are going are gonna to fight. It, it's yeah. obviously, you know, yeah. you're just expecting that. And and of course, admittedly, when when you know when Jekyll's you know when there's that moment when Jekyll's kind of outlining his theory on how you know he, the Mister Hyde serum can actually be used to help the Wolfman, you're sitting there thinking, boy, this doesn't sound like a good idea <laughs> on any <laughs> level. But it's but but the way it ultimately works out that that's not the way the film you know it doesn't go the direction you think it is it's going to, and yet still manages yeah. to be incredibly entertaining. Uh, 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 but 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 totally goes down a path you yeah. don't think it yeah. will. And yeah. so it was really cool. Well, and I got to say kudos to Nashi for playing up the uh, the Hyde character. Oh, he's he's because yeah. he's he's really good as Mister Hyde. He's got the the evil look going on. I mean, and the the skin pallor and his forehead seems bigger, and yeah. you know, he's just. And but what I really love in that was when he's Mister Hyde. And he's just out on the town in London partying. Strolling Soho, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, and the and he's there at the club, yeah. and he's drinking with this woman, and she's just like, oh, yeah, just t- chatting him up. <laughs> it's like, at what point are you going to chat up the guy that looks like, you know, he just came out of the grave <laughs> with this crazy-ass hair, the psychopath look on his face, and a skin a skin the color of, you know, like chalk that's been left out in the sun too long. I think he just described the average Englishman, though. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, oh, oh. Well, I was going to go in another direction, yeah. but that was that's a good slam. I like that. Uh, <laughs> Let's uh, let's make sure Fiona never hears yeah, this. Yes, sorry, did not. Yeah, never. like I said, it's another part uh, we can't when, publish. Yeah, <laughs> when I do a podcast, Fiona generally doesn't listen. So, <laughs> well, anyway. God love and and her logic behind this, by the way, is that she hears me enough. Yeah, uh, yes, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to bring anything yeah. new to the table for her. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard enough of your crap. <laughs> yeah, you know it's a uh, she. You know, yeah. well, I, it's fun. The thing yeah. I was gonna, the thing I was gonna talk about with, uh, you're right. I mean, because the the makeup is such on uh, on Nashy when he's Mister Hyde, as to be uh, you know extraordinarily repulsive and, and kind of uh, to say the very least off putting. And I always thought that that was something that uh, a lot of adaptations of the Jekyll Hyde story kind of shy away from because in the past they kind of had to. And I wondered why this film didn't draw it out more more 
perfectly or more more clearly, I should say, which is that the idea that most of the women that Hyde ends up with in one way or another, whether they're whether they're blatantly said to be this or it's just coded in the way that they're uh, talking about the character, they almost always seem to actually be prostitutes. Yeah, he was not going for the church ladies, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's. There's the one that was obviously a prostitute, and by the way, I have to say, she had the nicest off of an alley in the red light district hotel room or whatever apartment. <laughs> that was amazing. It was like the TARDIS, you know. He just steps into the little alley, and bam, I'm in this giant room with a four-poster bed, and it's like, whoa. <laughs> Are you saying that there was a discrepancy between the location shooting and the sets? I am not saying anything of the sort. I'm saying I certainly do admire the ability to find such property in Soho, because you know, that that is that is gold. That's you know the Harry Potter magic magic apartment there. You know? uh, well, okay, we talked about the fact that uh, okay, there the what you saw was a composite version of the film, which is um, there as with almost all of these films, there are two versions. There's the clean, ver well, the cleaner version that was uh, meant to be shown in Spain, and then there's what they call the export version, which includes a lot more spicy stuff. You got your nudity, yep. you got your ramped up violence, you got your sadomasochism, and in this film, the sadomasochism really bubbles up to the surface because it's kind of a natural outgrowth of any Jekyll Hyde story, I would assume. Yeah, so you've got an extended whipping scene, you've got uh, some really, uh, really almost poignant kind of sad uh, sadomasochistic conversations between the uh, uh, Dr. Jekyll and uh, the his, his, his female assistant and all of the kind of forlorn hope for love there that kind of curdles and turns into something much more hideous. Yeah, talk about yeah. the woman you don't want to scorn. <laughs> That's, yes. She doesn't have any, I mean, Hyde, 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 I guess, has his excuse of being basically a monster criminal serum, but... She's just as sadistic and vindictive, and she doesn't have any excuse at all. Well, and, you know, that's the thing. I actually consider her more of a monster. Yeah, I would say so. Most assuredly. You know, yeah. you know and, and the Hyde or the Jekyll character comes across, you know, as very noble. Mm-hmm. You know, which uh, that's... Which is odd. I, you know, I thought that was very, uh, very poignant. And it's interesting, too, because he really, uh, you know, in this film and... It's once again. It seems like there's an evil woman pushing, pushing things along for this one. You know, mm -hmm. the first one with the vampires, mm -hmm. it was more the evil couple, mm -hmm. and yeah. one was just as bad as the other. But in this one, it's really the evil woman pushing the uh, plot along. Well, you'll you you'll, know. you'll notice the more Nashy films that you watch. There's a couple of things. One, you'll notice the reoccurrence of a kind of Lady Macbeth kind of character. <laughs> Yeah. creeping into narratives at different times it's it's uh, it's especially prominent in a film like the marshal of hell or mm -hmm. it's also known as the devil's possessed where you definitely have a a kind of uh, lady macbeth and the the, the period mm -hmm. setting of the film kind of enhances that idea but also yeah. something else is that when troy and i first started kind of critically going into the nashy films we kind of had a an overly simplistic view of female characters as scripted by paul nashy we honestly firmly believed that there were really only two types of female characters in Paul Nashie films, and that was, uh, you know, essentially uh, villain and saint. Uh, that, was, yeah. that, that was really the, the, the two poles, and there was no real variation between that. And we weren't more than 
I mean, it's different when you're, you know, really digging into the movies and attempting to really figure out what makes them tick. And so we were less than half a year into this project when we started looking at each other and just having to say on on the air, you know, honestly, they're 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 not they're, that's not what they are in this yeah. movie. There's a lot more nuance in the way he's scripting these females. Yeah. So from a five thousand foot level. It's it, it's very easy to see the kind of the arc the archetypes and the kind of uh, the stereotypical ways in which he's writing some of these characters. But of course, at the same time, that even if you take that at face value, that's kind of that's part and parcel of them being uh, very you know very fairy tale like, very much uh, classic monster style tales where you're you're telling a bigger than life story to begin with. But then the more of them that you see, and the more you kind of apply a little critical thought, I guess in a way, the more you see in a short space of time. Uh, God save us. The, 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 the more you start to see how very nuanced some of these characters are until the point where you get to something like uh, Hunchback of the Morgue where uh, there's a standard saint, a standard kind of virginal saint character that passes away early in the movie and it's kind of the the, the driving force of, of some of the, the terrible things that happen for the rest of the film. And then there's a very nuanced, almost saint-like character who... Uh, is is similar in tone, but is not virginal. There's a there's a very specific delineation between those two female characters, and that one is definitely not virginal, yeah. very much a sexual creature, but at the same time is very much a good person, very much someone who not only has your sympathies as you watch the story, but also someone who you admire because of a lot of choices that are being made. And so, mm. as you go through more and more of his films. Um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's a book to be written here, but there's a book to be written here so. <laughs> <laughs> about the, the the nuance and the kind of the, the the finer line details of a lot of the female characters in Paul Nashie scripts. But once you start, you know, the, the the first few you go into, it's very easy to see them as the the archetypes, the kind of stereotypes that they are obviously there to represent. And uh, like I say. Once you start, once you start a drug, <laughs> you just start indulging in that drug, and you start to be able to, to to realize that you know this heroine came from a different country, or that you know this <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's a different thing. You start to notice all the little details that don't that aren't necessarily obvious at the beginning. No, and uh, you know I think that's an, it's interesting you bring that up because he really, especially you know the second film. Uh, the that we watched for this, you know, the Doctor Jekyll and the Wolfman, you know, the female character that was his love interest, even after he became Jekyll, or excuse me, became Hyde, and was just wailing on her with a whip, and you know, obviously was not treating her nicely, and you know, the whole thing was, you know, the the you know, the, I guess the one Dessa character was commanding him to not kill her because she wanted to make her suffer because apparently Dr. Jekyll had been in love with her too, which every dude in this movie was at some point apparently in love with her. But <laughs> so, you know, she had to die horribly damn it, um, because men loved her. But, you know, even, even through all that, she still was sticking by her man. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, was, you know, it's sort of like she was able to acknowledge the fact that he can't control himself. This isn't, you know, Waldemir. This is this hide persona. So let it go. And, oh, yeah, you've killed me. You're the wolf man. But, you know, 
<laughs> but I'm gonna free, I'm gonna set you free though. I'm gonna free you. I'm gonna I'm gonna dig up yeah. this really badly, you know, this this gun that's that's hidden away and unloaded. And just we were we were yeah. laughing about the gun with the silver bullets, you no, know that no. that uh, yeah that that uh, she had, yeah, that really wasn't put in a very convenient spot. <laughs> no, it was, it was like it was, unloaded and put buried under some rocks somewhere. <laughs> you know, she had to do a lot of work to get to that. You know, to get to that well, gun. But well, you know, if I was a werewolf, I wouldn't want to make yeah, it that easy to, either. You right, know? you want <laughs> like like little kid, little son or daughter to come wandering in. Look at what I found, Dad. You know. <laughs> well, what you'll notice the more of the Paul Nashy werewolf films that you that you see. You will notice that one of the reoccurring themes, one of the reoccurring characteristics of the uh, the love interests of the Daninsky character is that they are all crack fucking shots. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm talking, you know, bullet through the eye of a needle at sixty paces kind of shit. <laughs> and so there's never any doubt once the gun is once the gun is in the hand of the beloved that that werewolf is going down. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know that's. I think you're you're really underselling it there, Rod. Because obviously anybody who's untrained will be an expert shot with a firearm, <laughs> especially the second time they shoot it. Yeah. You know, because the first time, you know, they they aren't dealing with the recoil. But you know, you got to bring that gun back down for that second shot. You know, but uh, yeah, God love it. But you know, and I. I We've talked a little bit too much, I think, about the ending. So uh, if you're listening at this point, it may be too late, but go uh, watch the movie and then come back. Uh, spoiler, late spoiler alert, folks. But I do think the way that they, uh, the very last shot in the film is very poignant. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I like that a lot. I thought that was yeah. a good, that was a good tragic ending. Yeah. You know, it was very, it reminded me, and I know this movie predates it, but I saw The Killer you know, John Woo's mm -hmm. The Killer yeah, right. before yeah. I yeah. saw this. Yeah, of course. And I think the ending is very similar, I actually. I never thought about that. I see exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Would, would not surprise me if John Woo had, had yeah. at some point seen this film somewhere in Hong Kong. So, yeah. Yeah. But you're yeah, right. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, I hadn't thought about that, but I can see what you're saying there. Yeah. It, it is yeah. kind of like the ending of The Killer. I was going to ask you, Nick, uh, now were you familiar with... Uh, were you very familiar with Jack Taylor uh, that plays Doctor Jekyll before this? I mean, had you had, did you recognize him, or were you familiar with his work? You, well, you know, it's funny because he looked familiar. Mm -hmm. He should, but I, <laughs> yeah, but I didn't look him up. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I realize you may not have seen a whole lot of European horror movies, but he even made a lot of films outside of that too. So he made a ton of movies. He's still alive too. He's yeah, still yeah. making movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. Huh. Oh yeah. Well, you may have seen him. Uh, do you remember the the film The Ninth Gate? Yes, he was one of the uh, Ninth Gate. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He he was he was one of the uh, the 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 book collectors. He's the he's yes, the, yeah, yeah. He he's the guy who uh, is in that big cavernous mansion who's held on to as much of his collection as he can, but he has you know he's, he's had to sell off pieces of it to 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 keep you know to to stay alive and he's he's still hoarding as much of his collection as about yeah that's Jack Taylor he's still working wow. today man yeah well and you know i mean well he wasn't that old when he did that i mean he was 36 i think i i have to say you know i'm in my 40s and 
I got to say, a lot of folks in these older movies look a lot older than they were. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, because he was sporting the, you know, he was sporting the gray sideburns yeah. and, you know, the mustache and yeah. all that, and he just he looked. I thought he was probably pushing fifty in that, and it turns out he was just thirty six. Mm-hmm. Well, remember <laughs> that they lived really hard back then. A lot of drinking, well, a lot of smoking, a lot of smoking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Every, everybody wanted to look older back then. Now it's the opposite. Well, that's it. You know, it's a quick pass me my uh, pass me my my probiotics quick. <laughs> you, know, you know, Jack. But, Ta- I can tell you this: Jack Taylor ain't no vegan. <laughs> <laughs> no, God love him. <laughs> but yeah, Jack Taylor's only been in roughly a zillion movies. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. He, there's a reason he looks familiar. Yeah. Yeah, and and I actually just popped over to his uh, to his uh, IMDb page, and yeah, it's I've seen already. I've rolled through this, and I've seen fifteen movies that he was in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and and a lot. There were some big budget films. Yeah. Oh yeah, know? yeah. He's one of those character actors who uh, just you know he he would do everything from the low budget stuff where he might be the lead to you know big budget things where he's a character actor, uh, and of course. The first place I ever saw him on the big screen was in the legendary Pieces. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was in that, wasn't he? Holy cats. Yes, indeed he was. (laughs) Oh, Pieces. uh, Yeah, uh, Pieces is a piece of work. I like it. Is it ever? That's a... Well, no, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. You can. You can. Troy and I I have talked for several hours about pieces in a specific episode. We love that insane, bizarre, freaking movie. (laughs) Hey, let's let's make a a, a jigsaw puzzle out of people. Sure, why not? (laughs) Hey, you don't need to go to Texas to have a chainsaw massacre. (laughs) Damn straight. That's why God love them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think... You know, I'm really glad we did those two particular movies because they were. I mean, first off, I had never seen you know uh, the mark of the where the mark of the wolf man, right? And that was very impressive. And you know, learning a little bit of the history and the fact that it was a, what was it a German production company was yeah. making it, so they said, uh-huh. "Hey, uh, Paul, Na- or hey, you know, Jancito, change your name." Yeah, they they, <laughs> yeah. they, they the original. <laughs> originally yeah, when this was right. in a conceptual stage uh, conceptual stage I think I just created a new word uh, yeah <laughs> conceptual. you did but that's alright <laughs> I, am, I am talented uh, the original idea was kind of they, they wanted to try to see if they could get Lon Chaney Jr. but by then you know that's really not going to happen and uh, so then it became a thing where they kind of decided supposedly one of the producers, one of the German producers was like, well, you, you big bodybuilding lug, you could play the character. And, and, uh, I'm sure that there was a lot of, you know, it took, I'm, I'm sure it took them days and days to convince him to, to do that. <laughs> uh, and not, you know, milliseconds, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is funny that he just, you know, he had no real aspirations to be an actor. You know, he, 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 he wanted to be a screenwriter. Yeah. yeah. He really screenwriter. He just wrote the script for the film. And I think he would have been, completely happy to have written a script that Lon Chaney would have been acting. He probably would have been in heaven. They're like, oh my God, Lon Chaney Jr. is acting one of my, you know, werewolf films, but had no idea that he was going to become the new Lon Chaney Jr., you know, the... the And that's the the thing. As as Troy and I have learned going through, you know, so many of his films, um, when you start studying his uh, script writing skills across across his career, 
you realize that he could have probably made a good career for himself mm. just as a scriptwriter because mm. in incredible imagination and always always drew on all these different uh, different things, folklore, uh, older stories. Mm. Uh, he read voraciously. He had a sense of history. He was he he knew all of these different. Uh, all these different things, and he knew how to construct these things, even when under the influence of speed to try to get the damn things finished. <laughs> but the, the idea that um, when you get to when you get to some of the scripts that he was writing in the uh, late seventies, you realize this is a guy who could easily have made uh, a career for himself just as a scriptwriter. Mm. But well, and that's you know that's I could see that because he is. He turns out, I mean, the stories have a lot of originality to them. I mean, hell, he's making the leap. How do you tie Dr. Jekyll into the Wolfman? Yeah. And yeah. he does not make the obvious leap to it. No, 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 no. You no. know, because I would have seen it as sort of a, okay, Mr. Hyde and the Wolfman are going to fight. There's something going on there. It's like, no, 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 we're going to use this to cure you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. And yeah. you know, yeah, it's kind of hokey, mm. but at the same time they, you know, they they make it work. Yeah. You know, you at least in the context the of this film. Got to credit the imagination behind it there is. Yeah. yeah, it's very strong, yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so Nick, this being um not not your first jump into the the Paul Nashy werewolf film pool, um just out of curiosity, um are you are you, are you uh, curious enough now to see some of the some of the I might even say even more interesting Nashy werewolf films that are out there as well? You know, yeah, I think I am. I think I'd like to see that because that's one of the things I've seen so many werewolf movies, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not bragging. I'm just it's that was my thing for a while. Fiona and I were actually. Uh, we worked on uh, drafts of a book on a history of werewolves in cinema. And we had steered clear of non-Hollywood productions just because we, with the exception of Hammer, we dove over to Hammer real quick and Amicus. But we kind of steered clear of the whole Paul Nashy genre because there were so many films in it that we were like, you know, if we go down this rabbit hole, it's going to be... That's going to be several chapters where we're going to have to write worth of material and all these different movies we're going to have to look at. So we kind of purposefully steered clear of it. And that project kind of, we put that on the shelf completely because, you know, it's been done and the publishers that we were uh, talking to about doing it wanted it to be a much more academic book than we wanted to do. Mm, yeah. So we just kind of basically we shelved that one for the foreseeable future in favor of cookbooks. Okay. But that's besides hey, the right. point. <laughs> but, uh, Not vegan but, ones, though. But, yeah, I think, uh, I think I would definitely enjoy seeing more of the Paul Nashie werewolf films cool. because he he's an interesting actor. I really kind of like the fact that he comes across sort of like this – Hi, I'm a suave European guy, and oh, by the way, I'm a werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) But we've always said that one of, you know, we've talked about before that probably Paul Nashie's most distinguishing or most effective feature as an actor are are his eyes, you know, because he's able, and one of the things you see it in Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf is 
the two extremes with how when he played an evil character or when he played a sad sack, you know, character, yeah. you know, his eyes, he, he has that ability that Lon Chaney Jr. had with evoking sympathy with just the use of his eyes. You know, you felt yeah. sad for this schlub. But then when he becomes evil, of course, he's he's just projects, radiates this great gleeful evil. And it's it's all through his eyes. He does a great job with them. Yeah. You're right. And that's, you know, the eyes, the eyes were, yeah, especially his Dr. Jekyll eyes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he those eyes said crazy psycho. Yeah. No matter what he was doing, and I, I, I did think it was funny the scene in the club. Oh, yeah. When yeah. he's Doctor Jekyll and he's and the girls just sitting there chatting away, to him, <laughs> and he's got that look on his face like, "Oh, you crazy, you crazy bitch! I'm gonna kill you, dead. <laughs> And what? she's just chatting away, and then she goes away and comes back, and he's and he's turned back into you know Waldemir, and she's like, "Who are you? Why are you here? What's going on here?" You, you, know? you don't look like she's offended guy. by yeah. this normal human. <laughs> well, I, I think it's more along the lines of the, this woman had this sucker on the hook, mm. and he's escaped. Yeah. You, know, you have to admit he was pretty nicely. You know, he had dressed. He had the the hat and the the cape, and you know, he was kind of like he was yeah, kind of projecting. Yeah. He was kind of projecting a man of means there. You know, so much. Yeah, well, was, and that was the other thing. What, when you become Mister Hyde, do you <laughs> automatically get a top hat? <laughs> yeah, apparently you just. I get, think that they're standard issue. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah it's like you know, the, is that it's standard like the issue? Right thing. It's well, like the vampire thing. I'm pretty sure. I'll check the costume department. I'm not positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's true. <laughs> checks out checks out yeah well and you know he had the ascot he had the uh he had the whole uh the top hat he had the cape and even the cane at some <laughs> point you know it's like wow you're uh, you're you're kind of rocking it out there with the uh you know the period piece wardrobe and that was had... the other thing it was very it was a very turned in the century wardrobe yeah, yeah. That he was sporting right there in downtown, you know, swinging, London in swinging, the 70s. Swinging 70s, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which would have had him fitting guy. right in, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. right, so, exactly. I, yeah. I think that may be part of it is, you know, is she just saw him as kind of a swinging hip character, you know, that yeah. she was, you know. Who was, you know, wearing these clothes as an affectation and therefore, you know, probably had more money to burn than he needed, so, yeah. She might have thought he was screaming Lord Such. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Crazy Lord Buckethead or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought about screaming Lord Such in a while. <laughs> I needed that. Okay, well, the good news is is that uh, although not all of them are available, some of the some of the Daninsky uh, werewolf films, some of the werewolf films from Paul Nashi are now being a little bit more easily available. Here soon in November, uh, they'll be coming. The Scream Factory is putting out another set of five Nashi films, and in there is uh, the Werewolf and the Yeti, aka Night of the Howling Beast. Yeah, and that one is a whole lot like uh, Nashi wanted to make uh, a werewolf film. That was also a Republic serial. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Okay. It's a fun one. Yeah, so it's like, a, you know, a, a Republic serial adventure in the Himalayas crossed with uh, female demons that turn poor Valdemar into a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Ah, don't they always? And there happens to be a Yeti wandering around, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, why not? You know, yeah. just that, that I've determined already that that's par for the course with a Nashy film. It's just like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's like what supernatural entity is not in the movie? Yeah, hey, right. let's, let's roll with that. <laughs> and, of course, you've also got uh, the film that kind of made his name as far as kind of international success is concerned, which is uh, the werewolf versus the vampire women. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, that, and, and, and that one, of course, features, I don't know if you can tell from the title, but it features a werewolf mm. and vampire women. 
<laughs> really? I yes. didn't pick up yes. on that. Yeah, that's a yes. subtle little yeah, yeah. surprise yeah, yeah. they dropped in there. That, that's you know that's hidden by the title, much like uh, Frankenstein's Bloody Terror. But the, <laughs> but there 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 are of course a number of others, and uh, even you get a, a medieval Japan one call, uh, called yeah. Beast and the Magic Sword, which was actually shot in I mean in Japan. Oh uh, wow! Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's believe me the. The the poo poo platter of delights before you is mm-hmm. is varied and with many flavors. So <laughs> you will enjoy, you will enjoy the indulgence, sir. Trust me, and please tip your waitstaff. So uh-huh. uh, this this is I think this is good because I know that uh, when that werewolf book went on the shelf, when the the that that went to the wayside, there was a a lot of roads unexplored, and if I can kind of push you down those roads or, or beat you with a stick so that you run away from me and kind of go down that road. I think that's a good thing. Well, and you know, you've, you've kind of tipped the scales for me with this. So I'm definitely, I'll be looking for, you said it was shout factory or scream factory. Yeah, yeah, one scream, of them's coming out with yeah, it. Yeah. So well, scream factory is putting out uh, their second, uh, second Nashy set. Uh, there was a, there was one of the werewolf films in the first set. Which was the re- Nashi's own remake of uh, Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman called Night of the Night of the Werewolf, and uh, in this, yes, the only he, he kind of ma- remade his own film and directed it himself this time. Around. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, the the werewolf film that's in the second set is uh, like I say, Night of the Howling Beast, which is kind of an amazing film, and uh, like I say, if you if you root around, you can find DVDs of some of the others, but at these at this point they're long out of print sadly on DVD and we're just hoping for more announcements of more Paul Nashie werewolf films in the future. I will say this, beware Fury of the Wolfman. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Oh god, Troy. Help. Oh, man. It's, a, it's one of those that yeah, it's 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 it, it, it's it's been described as fascinating and I guess that is, you know, because yeah, uh, it, it's both those not necessarily fascinating for the good reasons, but it's 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 truly a bizarre, uh, incomprehensible but, mess of a. But it's there are things to love about it because it's so crazy. It is truly nuts. I mean, you've yeah. seen how Paul Nashi throws tons of different ingredients into the films. Well, this is one of those that's also being filtered through a troubled production. You know, a, a, and a, a drunk, a, 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 drunken, and a drunken director, director. <laughs> drunk director, and. Oh. It just oh it's 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 one where you just literally don't from every scene you're just like where did this why is this why is this happening why you know it's it's crazy, let, let, let's put it this way in Fury of the Wolfman by the time you get to the sequence with the unexplained man eating plants mm-hmm. that are never mentioned before the scene or after the scene mm-hmm. you realize shit went wrong this thing got away from them. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, you see, that sounds like a very, very awesome film to watch, <laughs> just for the sheer, you know, potpourri of disaster that it sounds like it would be. And it's, so, uh, it you know, and I'll is. watch that, but remember, The Room is one of my favorite movies right oh, yeah. now. <laughs> so, you know, I'm all about a Tommy Wiseau-esque werewolf movie. You know, oh, oh hi, Wolfman. <laughs> you know? You know, let's roll with that. <laughs> well, Nick, before we say goodbye to you, I forgot to—I forgot to even bring up the cookbook. I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, uh, tell tell the people about your your yeah. fine cookbook that you're taking oh. credit for, but I'm sure it was written by your wife. Well, okay. First off, uh, Fiona and I—this was a okay. Fiona is also a writer, yes. and whereas I have a day job and write in my spare time, Fiona is a professional writer. She's written uh, several books 
oddly enough, my wife is British, but she's written three history books about Kentucky. Wow. Two of them about Lexington, Kentucky, and one of them about a history of, it was the third one's a culinary history of Kentucky. And it's kind of a combination recipe and history book, talking about the origin of a lot of foods and stuff in the state. And she and I had been working on the werewolf, uh, the werewolf history of werewolves in cinema book a little bit, but neither one of us was feeling it because of where they were wanting us to go. And we just kind of, you know, we were running out of time. And so I said, you know what, hon, you wrote this book about culinary history, Kentucky with all these cool recipes. She's had a couple publishers that were bugging her to do recipe books, you know, cookbooks. And I said, why don't we take, B-movies, and do a book with those, something we could work on as a joint project. Because that's the thing. Our projects never seem to be things that we work on together. And we wanted to do something together, so I came up with the movies. We figured out a list of 15 films. Uh, We sat down and watched them together. I was taking notes about the films and, like, what was happening, uh, you know, trivia, things like that. Fiona was noting any references to food or any food that they eat or talk about in these films. And what we came up with was a combination guide to these B-movies from the 1950s. By the way, the book is called The B-Movie Cookbook, Mm, The 1950s. And it's 15 films from the 1950s. And she came up with all these awesome recipes that are inspired by or featured in the films that we watched. And, you know, we did uh, we did a Godzilla movie. So we well, the original Godzilla. So we have uh, sushi recipes. We did the creature from the Black Lagoon. We have some seafood recipes. Uh, You know, we have uh, we did 20 million miles to Earth a Ray Harryhausen flick. Mm -hmm. And that one we actually did, uh, that one's set in Italy, and it starts out in an Italian fishing village. So we do a pasta dish with grilled swordfish. Nice. You know, things like that. And and one of the toughest movies, actually, we decided to do Forbidden Planet Mm -hmm. because we both love Forbidden Planet. But, you know, they don't eat a damn thing in that movie. They don't uh-huh. talk about food. All they do, they disintegrate an apple. And they man- and they get the robot to manufacture whiskey. I thought that's where you were going Bingo. with this. Is that, that, where, is that where you went with that this? Was, okay. That was where I was going. Uh, so what gotcha, we ended gotcha. up doing with that was everything became bourbon themed. Nice. And since the id was the big monster of the movie, we made it all bourbon themed desserts. Yeah, excellent. Nice. So, yeah, you know, very cool. And, oh, for, uh, we did from Hell It Came, the one with the Tabanga, yeah. the oh, tree yeah. monster. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. So we've got a cool recipe for chocolate bark. <laughs> chocolate bark, and uh, you know, we did. She did a Polynesian theme, but there's really the 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 recipes in it are pretty awesome because we run the gamut from vegan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a vegan there's recipe a, in uh, there, uh, um, all the way through. You know, really nicely done steaks. Cool. And we've got desserts. There's a couple of mixed drinks in it. I mean, uh, for the blob, we have the blob mange, <laughs> which is a blancmange, <laughs> but made specifically for the blob. And for those of you not of European descent, you'll just have to buy the cookbook to find out what a blancmange is. So there you go. Well, how can, uh, how, can fo- how can folks find this sucker? 
Well, the easiest way, again, it's available through Amazon. It's available through uh, most of your book retailers online uh, in digital and print format. But I tell you, the easiest way, B-movie, the B-movie, excuse me, bmoviecookbook.com. Okay. Okay. And uh, you can order a signed copy, and Fiona and I have have a stack of them, and we'll sign it and ship it out to you. And I promise there'll be a message in it that will either make you laugh or regret your purchase. But either way, <laughs> you know, we'll personalize it for you. So, you know. Cool. Nick, awesome. thank you very much for coming on to the NashiCast. Guys, I really want to thank you. It is always a pleasure it's very to, fun. Get to, to get to be on another podcast, and you guys have been awesome to talk with too. Yeah, you too. And we want to make want to remind people again to also you. It's it's at werewolfforhire.com. Is that is that the where they would find the? Uh, the you know, novels? you know. I tell you what. Go to the bmoviecookbook.com uh-huh. has links to That's every daggum website for me and Fiona. Oh, good, good. Cool. So, you know, knock yourselves out at bmoviecookbook.com, werewolfforhire.com. You know, those are the two key spots. Cool. Thanks, Nick. Hey, thank you guys so much. It was a real fun time. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Monster Kid Radio. The following is a message from the American Podcast Council. We need your help. Podcastophobia strikes four out of five Americans every day, and chances are that someone you love or could love given time is currently suffering from this devastating affliction. But it doesn't have to be that way. For zero dollars a day, you can help. Please, make some time today to let just one person know about a favorite podcast of yours. It can be this one, but it doesn't have to be. But it probably should be, but seriously, no pressure. And show them where to find it and how to download, play, and subscribe to it. And tell us what you recommended. Use the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y pod. Thank you for speaking out. And thank you for listening. The two of us, Troy and Rod, back again because we've got uh, we've got a little bit of mail. We've uh, we've mm-hmm. let the, we've let the the email pile up a little bit, and we wanted to kind of 
smoosh some of it to the side yeah, and yeah, uh, get the plow right there and you know and, and, and plow big big piles of it so we can get to uh, pick those just special ones that we're exactly read. exactly and, and of course you will have noted that there haven't been as many episodes of the podcast this year that's uh, down to a couple of things mm-hmm. one uh, we're naturally lazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, two, also, uh, we have, of course, uh, spent a fair amount of this year recording commentary tracks mm-hmm. for various Paul Nashie films. And so mm-hmm. that has taken up a little bit of our time that mm-hmm. uh, we've kind of had to take away from the podcast. And three, we haven't really stumbled upon any new Nashie films that we've been able to get our hands on that we, of the few remaining that we still want to do, would like to do. We've not yet been able to grab any of those. So, But I do suspect that we will be continuing like... Uh, this episode here, we'll be mm-hmm. bringing other people into yeah. the fold to talk to about Paul Nash. You yeah, I uh, think this is a really kind of fun new sideline we've kind of started going down here. Yeah, we actually kind of did it early. One of the very first we ever did, which is I think in our first year together with the with our friend Dan, of course, our man in the field was sort of the first person we ever brought on to do an interview with his his Nash experiences, and and uh, so now, but now it's we've kind of gotten back into that, and it's been really fun. And I do believe that we'll also be considering uh, another few titles in the Beyond Nashi series, because I know that there are a, a few joys out there in the Spanish horror realm that we've not yet uh, talked over or talked to death. So yeah. yeah, I think that that is something you can probably look forward to. And I think that one of these emails may actually push us in that direction mm-hmm. sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's start with, what do you got here? I got one from Grayson. He says... Okay. I love the Nashi cast and the Bloody Pit. That's Rod's other uh, podcast, in case those of you out there, any of you don't know that. He says, please do more Fulci and Godzilla flicks on the pit. I'm really enjoying those episodes. Also, I'd like to thank y'all for expanding my Nashi universe for me. The first movie with Nashi I saw was Rottweiler as a kid on the Sci-Fi Channel. Now, that's a strange one to begin with. I had no idea Sci-Fi Channel actually showed that. Uh, He says, I did not like the film a lot, but we'll revisit it soon for your episode on that film. He says, the second time seeing a Nashi flick was last October. My girlfriend had bought me a 50 movie pack from the local Walmart, and Werewolf Shadow and Fury of the Wolfman was on it. Oh my, he, Fury of the Wolfman. Fury of the Wolfman. Ooh. He, says, uh, he says, I popped in Werewolf Shadow and fell in love with it. And when I learned of y'all's podcast on Nashi from the Doom Show, he listened to the Doom Show. Of he course. says He says, I jumped in, watching anything I can find with Nashi in it. One other thing, thanks for the Franco flicks y'all cover. Franco was a dude. <laughs> he was indeed. He says, I was a little worried of venturing into Franco flicks uh, from hearing about his pornos, but have become a huge fan. Keep up the good work, guys, and excited every time, everything, uh, excuse me, and excited every time y'all drop new episodes, Grayson. Thank you, Grayson. Appreciate that, man. Thanks for listening. Um, I, I suspect we will have more Francos in the future and more Fulchis and more Kaiju, uh, uh, more Godzilla or Gamera or who knows what we'll tackle on the bloody pit. Oh, yeah. I can, I can see that being something that we do. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. Uh, next up from Michael says, uh, guys, I just listened to the latest Nashi cast and it's an enjoyable steaming pile of chaos for weirdos like us. <laughs> now see, that's, I've not, I've, that's the first time I've ever heard is compared to Azatoth. <laughs> steaming pile of chaos. You know? <laughs> uh, he says, I am in disagreement about one thing. However, I notice most fans revel in dumping on the ghost galleon. I love the film and consider it one of my favorite Euro horror flicks. I know Amando Diasorio himself lamented the cheap look of the burning ship effect at the fina- in the finale, but I believe he did a spectacular job on the minuscule budget he was forced to work with. Even though I greatly value all four Blind Dead films, including the unofficial Cross of the Devil, and even that Franco bit of strangest, strangeness mansion of the living dead, mm-hmm. 
I feel that the second film, Return of the Evil Dead, is the weakest of the four. Ooh. Hmm. Wow. That's a bold statement. Yeah. He says, uh, it, re- it disregards the landmark Tombs of the Blind Dead and is basically a remake. Uh, well, that's that's true, but I don't know that that's necessarily... Anyway, anyway, anyway yeah. back to his letter. Mm-hmm. Lone Fleming plays a dull, do-nothing housewife, nothing like the cool, sexy, important character she played in the first film. The film just ignores the powerful ending of the first film instead of being a killer sequel, which is what it should have been. Amando, Amando, I love you, but dude, you missed a great opportunity at epic continuity here. <laughs> the third and fourth films are both strong in my eyes, with both with both galleons. I'm sorry, with both galleon and seagulls just covering different groups of undead Templars who went separate ways and either went the Phantom Ship route or got their Cthulhu cousin worship fix going. Right. But that second film just invalidated the superior first film continuity-wise. I still love them all, and I realize I'm an oddball among oddballs, <laughs> but I'll proudly own that. Following the herd is so boring. <laughs> I'm just going to stop here and say this is the most radical ver- version of fandom in the bl- in the blind dead mm. fandom area I have ever heard. Mm. That's 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 but that's, that's hey, but that's awesome. Do it. Do it that man. film has some defenders. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do it. Go for it because yeah, we all. You, you, there's no reason to apologize for loving what you love. That's right. That's right. Uh, back to Michael's email. He says, I think one reason I warm up to the ghost galleon so much is because it reminds me of my favorite childhood monster toy, the Haunted Hulk by MPC from 1963. He says, Google it. Is it, is it, was it a, the Haunted Hulk, was it a, was it a model? Oh boy, that's a good question. Yeah, he he mentioned that. I'm not sure. We will have to Google that and look it up because I don't recall the Haunted Hulk. I don't. uh, Okay. But, uh, but it could be because I know when growing up in the times, you know, when, you know, a lot of times you had to use your model kits as toys because you didn't actually have, you know, so you'd build those models and play with them until they broke apart. That's a, a fair and unfortunately totally sad point. Uh, he says to Google it and I will have to do so. Yes, we will. Uh, also, it stars the man, Jack Taylor, mm-hmm. and a bevy of Euro hotties, which is common for Golden Age Spanish horror, admittedly. Stepping down from my soapbox now, mm-hmm. how about how about a little less venom when when, when mentioning the ghost galleon in future? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think we can we manage should. that. I think yeah, that I'm will. perfectly willing to do that right up until I watch the movie again. <laughs> yeah. <And> then, <laughs> no, we will. Yeah, we we will we will try to go into it with an open mind. We shall say it's, that next time we yes. see it. Next time we yeah. See, I've held off on reviewing it for years now because of figuring at some point. We're going to be doing an episode it, yeah. on it, so that's why yeah. I've still been holding back, holding back. So my memories of it are still having only seen it on that on a VHS release, you know, under which I think it was maybe called Revenge of the Zombies or something. The one that the think they so you not you've never watched the I know you have the DVD. I have the run. DVDs, but I know because I've been holding them back, figuring okay. that we were going to do them again. So my memories okay. are still of that first viewing, and uh, that was years and years ago on VHS. So uh, well, I'll say I'll say this, uh, Michael. Here on the here on the podcast, we've not uh, we have not done a, a Beyond Nashy. On on the Ghost Galleon, and uh, that would be we've we've covered the first two Blind right. Dead films, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously we disagree with your opinion of the second one, but that's the way mm. these things go. So yeah. hey, I th- I think that here in the next few months, what Troy and I will try to do is uh, slot in the Ghost Galleon, finally yeah. go ahead and cover the third of the Blind Dead films. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Also, he says uh, in his email here, he says Troy, in the coming months, Distinctive Dummies will release a Migo style Nashi Daninsky figure. From Night of the Werewolf. Get on Martin's mailing list if you aren't already. You can contact him through the Distinctive Dummies website. 
I've checked out all of your commentaries on the latest Nashi Blu-rays. Good stuff. Keep them coming. Best regards, Michael. Oh, thank you. I'm... Yeah, and he was—he had sent me that tip on. You know, I've, I have gone to distinctive dummy sites. You know, and it's true, it hasn't changed in in months. But I am trying to uh, to contact them in other ways to find out when they're going to come out with this <laughs> figure because I did get the Migo style, the first one they did that was based on the uh, Werewolf versus the Vampire Women, you right, know, right. Werewolf Shadow figure. And then I've got the 12-inch uh, Werewolf Shadow figure that they came out with. And so this is the next one that, according to Michael, they're going to do. Definitely want to snatch that up because you got to get these things quick or they disappear. Um, I really would love, for, I'm really, especially after talking with, with our show with Nick here now, I'd love for them to do the... Uh, to do one in the turtleneck and the, you know, the, 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 the we'll say, I'm really hoping they'll do that. And of course, what I really, really am just would love more than anything is if, if they'll eventually do an Alaric de Marnac or somebody would do an Alaric yeah, de Marnac yeah, uh, figure would be fantastic. So. With, with detachable head. With detachable head. Must. Yes. Oh yes. No question. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we will move on to our third letter here. This is from Joe. Joe says, Nashi cast. New listener, along with new Nashi fan here, dropping you a line to tip the proverbial cap at your very enjoyable podcast. As a newcomer, I found your retrospectives to be the most insightful, as they give a nice broad overview of the films I need to chase down. That leads nicely into my first question. Where can I find the one-year retrospective, and are there other episodes you would recommend that have a wider scope? Right. We did, for the first couple of years, we would kind of do a... For uh, the first three years. First yeah. three years, we did the... Uh, they were, I guess, point... We'd, we'd, did we call them point... Point five, five episodes or something, or like something that, yeah. and we would sort of rate the films with the twelve films we had done before. Yeah, and then we also did a werewolf retrospective episode. Yes, we did. And uh, uh, they're, um, they're in there. Um, I've been going back and uh, repairing the links. To the first of all, the um, you know uh, the the first year or a little over the first year of podcast, that'd be about the first thirteen or fourteen episodes are no longer part of the uh, what would generally be called be the uh, RSS feed. So we're talking, you know, iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever the hell they're calling it these days. Uh, so th- those kind of things. If you want, if you want those first few episodes, and uh, I'm assuming that that would include the uh, first year retrospective uh, episode that we did. The I, I assume that's probably the one of the one of the point five episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll need to go to the uh, the Nashi Cast blog page or the Bloody Pit. Of Bloody Pit of Rod blog page for that specific podcast and follow the links there because what I've done is I've shifted those over to just basic Dropbox links so that you can get your hands on those episodes as MP3s and listen to them in that way simply because I just I couldn't I couldn't justify the rather ridiculous expense of keeping every episode of the podcast up on that feed because it uh, costs a bit of cash. And um, episodes are all available now. Some of the links, some of the links, I haven't switched over. And when someone alerts me to one, I I dutifully go and I seek out you know the 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 broken link and I fix it so that people can get to it again. So what you what would be a good idea is if you run across an episode that you can't necessarily find, either first, like I said, go to the Nashi Cast blog page and find the page for it and try the links there because usually I, I usually those will work just fine. Although, like I say. I've screwed a few of them up, or time has screwed a few of them up. Right. The internet itself, or demons, yeah. or whatever yeah. the hell it is. I don't know mm-hmm. what they are. Uh, but please, uh, they're they're all available. None of them are hidden behind any kind of paywall or any kind of strange thing like that. They're all out there. It's just a question of uh, of access and whether or not the the link works the way it should. So, in that ca- in that case, uh, like I say, I'll uh, I'll take a look at the retrospective episode uh, links uh, here in the next. <laughs> <laughs> however many days that represents and then uh, we'll uh, we'll make sure they're up there and available 
Yeah, and, and we've had a couple of people uh, from time to time send us messages letting us know if there's a dead link or a or, or a problem with one of the recordings out there. And, and please always let us know that because unless you know unless you tell us, well, you may never know. And But if you do tell us, uh, Rod can go out there and yeah. fix them. And I've run across that. We're not the only ones that suffer from that. I've run across oh, that yeah. from other shows. I'll be listening to podcasts. I'll get about halfway through and suddenly, doop, it's just gone, you know. And uh, it's like the... You know, because they've been out there forever, and the leaks, the leaks of the recordings get corrupted or whatever. So the the um, the internet is a far from it's a, fickle, a far from per- perfect mistress. place. Yeah, yeah exactly. So a fickle mistress. That's <laughs> a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah. So anyway, to finish, uh, Joe's uh, mail. He says second topic of hand. Now that I've grabbed the recent Blu-ray box set by Scream and Count Dracula's Great Love, it's hard to tell where to turn next. Any suggestions for an inspiring uh, for an aspiring collector of all things Nashy? As a as a, a longtime lover of the Italian greats like Fulci and Argento, I'm finding the accessibility of Spanish films a bit more challenging. Thanks, and keep pumping out the hits, Joe. Thank you, Joe. And uh, first of all, this is going to sound very self-serving, but I think we need to point him in the direction of the Inquisition Blu-ray from Mondo Macabro. I say self-serving because it actually has a audio oh, commentary yeah. by yours truly, Rod and I, but it's a very, uh, very good film, Inquisition, that's put out by Mondo Macabro. They are also going to be releasing... Uh, uh, the uh, they're going to be releasing El Caminante, which is going to have a uh, audio commentary by our friend Troy Howarth. So I'll be watching for that. That's also from Mondo Macabro. And plus, El Caminante is a brilliant film. It is so. fantastic. And uh, and yes, and there will be an, a second. Uh, there's going to be a second box set from Screen Factory coming out as well that will have more Nashi films. So uh, five more, five more Nashi films. So it's been the year of Nashi Blu-rays. So yeah, I would. That's kind of where I'd set him off first when you is like yeah. set him for find a, find what Mondo Macabro's put out. And find what uh, Screen Factory get that next set that they're going to come out with here shortly. You could also immediately start crossing all your fingers and toes because we know that Code Red uh, has announced that they're going to be putting out Fury of the Wolfman, uh, The Mummy's Revenge, and Assignment Terror. Mm-hmm. Of course, those th- we don't have a re- we, have we don't no have any kind when. of uh, yeah. release date on those, so we're not sure when they will show up. Mm-hmm. But so, uh, hopefully, those will show up sometime in the near future, and we will have those three Nashy films on Blu-ray as well. Yeah, yeah, and I also suggest uh, moving out of the the DVD realm. I would also suggest uh, you look for Paul Nashy's autobiography, which is called uh, Memoirs of a Wolfman, and it's a very well written book, very interesting book. And there's been a couple other books out um, too. There's one that's called uh, Muchas Gracias, Senor Lobo. You know, which is which <laughs> yes. is. Which is uh, pricey, which right. is pricey, but man, a beautiful collection of uh, lobby cards, posters, I mean, just a stunning book um, about Paul Nashie's film. So, and pretty soon, uh, Troy Howarth is going to be having a book come out about Paul Nashie as well. Uh, yeah, we've got a, we've got in. a couple of uh, Nashie books on mm-hmm. the horizon in the next uh, year or two. So that's great news. Yeah, thanks but, for the email, folks. <clears throat> oh, and uh, by yes. the way, uh, if memory serves, the next issue of Scream Magazine—that's oh yeah, uh, the Scream Magazine with two E's. Is going to have a Paul Nashy cover by the great Mark Mattis. Yeah, uh, my my friend and antagonist and, and nemesis. Yes, friend and nemesis. <laughs> friend, and, friend and nemesis over <laughs> on uh, the bloody pit occasionally. <laughs> so, uh, and there will be an article in uh, that particular issue of Scream Magazine that uh, kind of gives a brief look at the uh, the Nashy films that are currently available on Blu-ray, and with the uh, hopeful hints toward the future as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, now tell who wrote it, Rod. Don't be modest. <laughs> I was not gonna say. Yeah, Rod yeah, Barnett. Yeah. I yeah, want to I, say okay. I will. I will. I will. 
I will I will crow for you. And I was like, Rod Barnett has written this article that's going to be in Scream Magazine. So congratulations, Rod, on getting that in there. And uh, you've just you've just doomed it. It'll never see. It'll never see never publication. See, yeah. <laughs> that's true. It's exactly that's exactly the superstitious thought that I hang yeah. on to throughout yeah. my life. Speak not of it, or it will, or not, will not appear. Exist. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Do not tell the woman you find her a beautiful thing, <laughs> yes. or she will uh-huh. run from you. you yeah. Know? I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next issue of Scream Magazine, it's not on the shelf yet. I think it comes out, uh, darn. Either, no <laughs> I think it comes out in November. I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. But uh, that will be that will be on your local Barnes & Noble bookshelf or mm-hmm. wherever you find bizarre monster periodicals. So mm-hmm. there's that. Cool. So uh, I guess that is, is that, that's the That is the it. Book? That okay. is, yes. That is all the mail. And we thank everybody for that. I uh, always appreciate getting the mail for you. Appreciate you listening to the show and your comments. Yes, thank you once again very much. Um, remember, you can reach us at if, with an email missive if you would like to send us one. Uh, you can record an MP3 and even email that to us. We don't care. We'll be glad to throw it into the show. The email address is nashicast at gmail.com. You can also see us over on the Facebook page for mm-hmm. the NashiCast. You can find uh, the occasional odd and interesting announcement. Uh, we'd like to point out that we uh, we certainly get a lot of, of, of linky love that I throw the way of uh, SpanishFear.net because there's a lot of interesting stuff there. And, of course, uh, Sp- uh, Spanish horror is covered exclusively there, and you'll find lots of details about lots of different things, not just uh, the classic mm. the classic stuff, but stuff that's coming out on the pa- in the next few years, things that have just come out, all kinds of neat stuff like that. Uh, Mr. Selena does her job quite yes, well over there, and uh, her list of uh, 10 Spanish slasher films that she put up here uh, the beginning of October... Uh, was well worth a read, and it caused me to actually find one of the more recent ones on Netflix, of cool. all things. Cool. So check that out if you get a shot. Always worth your time. The There's the, the sister podcast, or is it brother podcast? We'll be calling mm. brother podcast? <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know. Brother podcast, I'm going to assume, which is the bloody pit where uh, we cover all kinds of things. Uh, 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 Antonio Margariti films, Gamera movies, Godzilla mm. movies. Whatever floats. I think, it, I think our vestigial boat. twin cast is what I would vestigial call it. twin. Vestigial it's twin the, cast, I think, is what we'd call that. It's <laughs> the vestigial twin cast. <laughs> it's well, the cast, there. It's the it's the episodes that grow out of your chest and not grow out of your. <laughs> yeah. Some of them seem organic. Some yeah. of them seem very <laughs> inorganic. But that's the way it goes. So uh, once again, thank you everyone for listening, and uh, I guess we'll just say uh, we'll see you the next time we see you. Mm-hmm. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. Good night. Even a man whose heart is pure and says his prayers at night can change to a wolf when the wolf